Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Tuesday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, the host of this show. Today, I've got Brooks Childress and Tom Peavy with me, and we have another good show planned for you this afternoon. In just a moment, we're going to talk about uh, the recruit that Auburn was able to land in the 2025 class shortly after we got off air yesterday. We'll also preview Pac-12 football this afternoon as uh, the Pac-12's maybe final voyage, uh, at least certainly as a Power 5 league. We'll talk a little bit about that. We'll also have more thoughts on Auburn fall practice as we now transition from camp to practice less than two weeks away from the season. Might have a couple NFL topics this afternoon too, so a lot to get to, including our Auburn Bank phone line. If you want to give us a call today at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Birthdays and sports, nightly TV guide as always throughout the show as well. Ryan, Brooks, and Tom with you here on this Tuesday afternoon. We'll start with you, Brooks. Hope you've had a good day so far. Good to see you, sir. Yeah, it was a, it's been a good day, good start to the week, good weekend over this last weekend. And so uh, we're getting ever so closer to live, meaningful football. Uh, I know you know you got the high school season kicking off on Thursday night over in Montgomery with our, our good uh, our team, Beauregard, uh, taking on Selma. And then our other team, uh, Smith Station, kicks things off Friday night over our sister station, uh, from Talk 93.9. So high school football is here. Week zero college football is right. You know, not, I'm not even going to say around the corner anymore. It's at the door. It, it's knocking on the door. We're about to go let it in. Uh, and and <laughs> we're going to we're gonna welcome in the, the new year with Navy and Notre Dame live from Dublin, Ireland. And that's just how college football is intended to be, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, totally. But, yeah, can't wait to uh, talk to all of our callers this afternoon. Can't wait to get to this Pac-12 preview, the fi- maybe the final Pac-12 preview we ever do on, uh, on Sports Call. Uh, and uh, see how the, this day is going to shake out because we got we got a lot to talk about here on Sports Call. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, as Brooks mentioned, our fine high school programming returns tomorrow with the High School Coaches Show, and the one and only Brooks Childers is now the host oh, of yeah. the High School Coaches Show. About that. Very nice. From the End Zone Bar and Grill just down the road here. Uh, and uh, we'll be live from 6 to 8 o'clock-ish. Yeah, so if anybody out there wants to come and you know check it out, come on down. Absolutely. Say hello to Brooks. Say hello to some of the great high school coaches in the area. And so that will be Wednesday nights again from 6 to 8 o'clock or uh, maybe a little bit after if we have a few extra coaches flow in and want to make sure we get to all those coaches. But really excited for another year of high school football. As Brooks mentioned, Thursday night, the Beauregard uh, Hornets in the kickoff classic against Selma. Uh, That one taking place at the Crampton Bowl. We'll have on-air coverage. Again, they move that back, so 7.30 will be the broadcast time, 8 o'clock kickoff from Montgomery. Then Smith Station 
on Friday gets going with their season on FM Talk 93.9. Brant Daughtry, the voice of the Smith Station Panthers this year. And uh, kickoff coverage will be 7 o'clock with kickoff at 7.30 uh, with a, a half hour though extra there uh, because of the heat and all that. Tom Peavy also on the show Hello. this afternoon. Tom, how are you? Man, I'm I'm great. And, uh, yeah, football season's here and nothing screams football like 90-degree heat with the <laughs> heat indices around 105. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you just – I mean, you just – that's football weather, baby. Ninety nine degrees. <laughs> I mean, nothing, nothing gets you ready for fall like heat advisories. Yes, keeping inside and keeping kids and pets inside. So, by the way, <laughs> PSA: <laughs> heat indices. Keep your pets and keep your kids out of cars. Do not lock them up yes. in cars. Keep them inside. Keep your ACs running. Wear light clothing. Stay out of the heat as much as you can. Drink lots of water and lots of liquids. Don't drink alcohol. Don't drink caffeinated beverages. Drink stuff with water and electrolytes and things like that if you're going to be outside. So this public my... service announcement brought to you by the Southwest Volunteer Fire there Department. There you go. <laughs> exactly. So Start making your plans now for the chili dinner. Coming up in November. Yeah, we're, we're already made. Uh, it'll be in October. It will be in October. It will be I'm in sorry. October. Yeah, it, uh, we're trying to iron out the f- official date, but... It will be in October, and uh, yeah, we'll get. It's usually in November, though, isn't it? We it, we have pushed Sometimes? it. The, we've pushed it the last couple of years to November just okay. because uh, of planning situations. But the, last year we realized that the date that we had it, it worked out great for us, but it didn't work out for our firefighters who were trying to go home on break. And it's like, oh boy, so. Trying to get it done a little bit earlier this year. Okay. But anyway, well, we'll cross that bridge when that comes. But. Um, yeah, I mean, we're ready for football season. Uh, Auburn with a big commit uh, from uh, from the Falk. It's Kildrick Falk's brother. Younger brother. Younger yep. brother. Uh, and he was and Kildrick was there in attendance, and that was a really special moment that they had. Uh, regular football, yeah, getting ready to go. And then uh, the Braves with an absolute stinker last night against the Mets. It kind of felt like a throwaway game. I mean, they, they just they put some dudes out there on the mound that is, is kind of like a test run of some of the guys and – immediately shipped them back down to AAA. So, uh, yeah, kind of a stinker for the Braves against a really bad Mets team, but we'll see if they can bounce back. But other than that, yeah, man, doing great. Ready to talk some sports ball. Yeah, absolutely. The Braves did make a little uh, news last night, though, even in the loss, because Marcel Azuna hit two home runs, getting to 25 on the season. I did not realize he hit two. I knew he hit one. Yeah, he, he accounted for two of the four runs. The other two were on uh, double for Michael Harris. But – Ozuna getting to 25-plus homers, fifth Brave this year to get to 25-plus homers, setting the franchise record. The only other team to do this is the Minnesota Twins from 2019, and that Twins team is the team the Braves are chasing in the home run race to set the record in Major League Baseball. Uh, And the Braves still have opportunities. To be quite frank, they could get two more to 25. Uh, Sean Murphy, I believe, is at 20 right now. Of course, he doesn't play every day, but, uh, I mean, he's at 20 at this point, so he's still on pace for it. And Eddie Rosario, who I believe is up to 19, maybe 20, after hitting a couple homers last week. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. Braves end up with seven players clubbing 25 home runs. So do want to mention that. But, yes, as you alluded to, Tom, uh, Auburn was able to land a commitment just after the show yesterday. Ja'Caleb Falk, the okay. younger brother of Keldrick Falk, a four-star player out of Highland Home High School, of course, in the state of Alabama, did pledge to the Tigers yesterday evening. 
four-star on all four sites. So we talked about some disparities in other players, other recruits, other evaluations. There's pretty good agreement on Ja'Caleb Falk. He is between the number 111 player, if you're looking at 247, or uh, on the low end, the 198 player on on three. So in all four sites, he's a top 200 player. It grades out nationally to the 100 number or number 151 player and the number 14 edge rusher in the 2025 class. He joins Malik Autry out of Opelika High School uh, as the only two pledges for 2025. Of course, that's standard. I think I saw the most recruits anyone has for 2025 right now. It's like five, so having right. two is is perfectly normal at this stage. And Malik Autry was a three is a is a three star player out of Opelika High School, a defensive lineman. So an edge rusher, Jacaleb Falk joins the fold for 2025 for the Auburn Tigers. Uh, and you, you like to see it, uh, especially when you you have a guy whose brother is here, the brother is going to be telling him what things yep. are like here. And so uh, that makes you feel like that there's good things going on when the brother's not like, hey, you might want to look somewhere else because this is miserable. It sounds like the brother you know, was like, yes, this is awesome. Come on. So um, you like that and you like that you're – already starting to get these guys for 2025 because you're, you know, if you're Hugh Freeze and that staff, you've done an amazing job to fill out 2024 when you were really behind the curve and you've done an amazing job there. But you can use that to bounce into a huge, huge class for 2025. And and Falk is just kind of going to be one of those first, uh, I mean, he's not the first commit, but he's kind of the first big time commit. And, yeah, we'll we'll see if that can continues, but you're you're hoping that momentum uh, will keep carrying on into that 2025, and maybe some of the the guys that they have been swinging and missing on, or just not even in the ballpark for, you can start getting yourself set to start seeing some of those guys wanting to come to Auburn. Yeah, and you look at the list of uh, of places he had offers from. It's it's a pretty impressive list. And yeah. one of my one of my favorite uh, fun facts here is you look at the you know two four seven. It'll show you like who they some some teams. It'll show you who they were recruited by. You just look at the third team down, which is Arkansas. The two names that recruited him from Arkansas: Travis Williams and Scott Fountain. <laughs> Both were re, very uh-huh. recent Auburn assistant coaches. I think that's a that's a fun fact. But yeah, uh, you know, you start you're starting work on that uh, class of 2025. Uh, this is a big domino to fall there, and hopefully, it takes more with them uh, and, and brings a lot more in. Because, like you said, Tom, you you've started. A, there's a couple that big ones that you've uh, for these next year that you've swung and missed on. Maybe this big you know get this big get will you know will entice some other recruits that are kind of sitting there on the fence to say hey this guy's going there but well, let's let's see what this is about and and take a closer look at Auburn and, and hopefully high, more highly consider Auburn and uh, of course with Caleb Falk as we mentioned Keldrick Falk is the older brother uh Keldrick Falk is only a true freshman, so uh, it is entirely possible that they end up playing together here at Auburn, uh, despite Caleb being in the 2025 class. Keldrick Falk currently is getting a lot of buzz in the preseason. I saw him named to like a 247 uh, preseason all-freshman team in the country, and so uh, there is some buzz around uh, Keldrick Falk, his ability so far through fall uh, practice. Uh, stands at 6'6", 288 and uh, hoping that he can be a part of a, a revitalized defensive front uh, for the Tigers. But again, the story is the second commitment for 2025 in the form of Ja'Caleb Falk out of Highland Home, four-star player 
committing to the Tigers yesterday evening. We're going to take our first break of the show. When we come back, we'll get to the Auburn Bank phone line a little bit later, birthdays and sports. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. On the air, weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you are currently driving in a four-door sedan, roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. I'm Deshaun Davis, former Auburn Tigers football player and all-SEC linebacker. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, the Tiger Communications app, or if you listen to the podcast presented by Coca-Cola, we certainly appreciate the many listeners we have on the many different platforms. We continue on with the show by going to the Auburn Bank phone line for the first time today, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. First up on the show this afternoon, James from Montgomery. James is with us. James, how are you this afternoon? I'm good, and War Eagle. War Eagle. Yeah, I know that I'm actually counting down the days to opening kickoff, which uh, starts week zero. And I'm actually going to see the first game of uh, week zero um, this coming up weekend uh, to actually see uh, Navy and Notre Dame actually uh, playing in, uh, in Ireland, in Dublin, Ireland. And I know that's going to be a really good uh, trip for – the uh, Notre Dame Fighting Irish because I know they're going to be playing in a in a big uh, in a big venue like Dublin, Ireland, and I know um, I know that Notre Dame is going to actually uh, bring the uh, the the uh, Irish uh, traditions to Dublin, Ireland this uh, this year as well. Yeah, the Fighting Irish playing in, in Ireland there and. Uh think they want to try to, to brand it a little bit that way, but obviously Notre Dame uh, with the uh, Fighting Irish name, been around for a long time. Uh, looking forward to the, the game, though, against Navy. They do, do usually play Navy, but uh, obviously taking the show to a different country. Yes, as well, because, I mean, with Navy, um, this is this is going to be their first time ever playing against uh, Notre Dame, so I had Notre Dame actually – uh, beating Navy, um, I'm still, you know, still at heart um, when when Navy plays Army. So I'm just gonna give it to Notre Dame as well, and uh, and, and see how Notre Dame is actually going to play their play their uh, game on on their home turf as well in Dublin, Ireland, as well, because I know it's gonna be a lot of um, a lot of great things out there in Dublin, Ireland as well. And this one was a was a really good uh, ticket for me to actually pick on 
on uh you know to actually bet on so this is going to be a really hot ticket for me to win this one all right you yeah, know i would pick notre dame too just a couple clarifications there again notre dame of course still located in south bend indiana and this is the 95th meeting between uh, notre dame and navy navy they play quite frequently in fact on pretty much every year yes that's all so i've been watching this game ever since and um this is actually my first uh, time actually watching uh, Navy and Notre Dame. So this one would be my first time ever watching this one as well. And this one um, is it, going to look pretty much like a good game as well. So this one um, is it, going to have some great, uh, great things as well for this game as well. Yeah, and then again, as you, uh, you mentioned, that is the first game of the day, but uh, you also got an SEC team playing that day when Vanderbilt takes on Hawaii. You got Jacksonville State, uh, their first game in the FBS. You got UTEP, so we got some good stuff on on Saturday. Yes, as well, because um, I'm looking at uh, – I'm going to be looking at uh, Jacksonville State. I know they're playing – uh, their their classic of uh, the Slack Divisional Classic, so that's going to open up uh, their division as well. So this one is that one is going to be a good one as well. And then on September the second in uh, Canton, Ohio, they're actually doing the Black College Football Hall of Fame enshrinement ceremony, and that one is going to be played uh, a historic uh, game as well. So that one. It's going to be between Morehouse College and um, I think it's another black college that's going to be playing against uh, Morehouse as well. So that one is going to be a really good opportunity to see uh, some some of the great uh, legendary uh, players being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And with that being said, with the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame, they actually just added this past couple of years ago they just added a new part to the black college football hall of fame enshrinement ceremony in their museum as well so it um it depicts a lot of uh hbcu players and alumni that played with a lot of different universities or these uh black colleges and universities as well yep jackson state does play uh a game on august 26 i was referring to the to jacksonville state uh the the gamecocks out of the conference usa but uh but uh yeah obviously a lot of uh, a lot of football going on at every level what else is on your mind today well i'm actually going to be looking at uh what's going to be happening for week three in the in the preseason of the nfl and um i know this is actually going to be the last uh, preseason before the regular season kicks off in a couple of weeks from now. And I'm actually going to be seeing some, uh, some great games that are going to be played, uh, later on, uh, today. Uh, this, well, they're going to be playing some, uh, highlights from last week. And then I'm going to be looking at, um, what, what I'm going to be looking at for this week for preseason number three as well before, uh, my Dallas Cowboys take the field on, um, the first game of our schedule to open up with, uh, I think we play at home against uh, the Giants. So that's going to be a tough, uh, a tough game as well. But I think Dak Prescott, I think he's going to, I think he's really going to get a win out of this one as well. So this one is a home game as well for my Dallas Cowboys as well. And then I'm going to be looking at uh, some, I'm going to be looking at some uh, great games for this year as well 
Yeah, the Cowboys do open with the New York Giants. It just is uh, on the road. It's in New York for that Sunday night game. Yes, that's well, because I'm looking for um, preseason number three. I'm going to be looking at uh, the Green Bay Packers and seeing uh, Anderson Carlson and uh, seeing how his kicks are going to be because I'm actually looking at him and um, I'm going to be looking at his kicks and seeing if I'm going to put him in for um, you know for the for my uh, fantasy league as well because I do started on week one so I'm I'm still looking at some some uh, some clarity there for uh, for the draft as well. Yeah, everybody getting ready to draft their fantasy football team if if they haven't already. So I know everyone getting geared up for that. What else is on your mind today? Well, I'm actually going to be looking at uh, what NASCAR is actually going to be doing. Um, they're actually going to be racing out in Daytona Beach, Florida this coming up weekend. So I'm going to be looking at that uh, this coming up week. Um, they're going to be doing on NASCAR Race Hub. I'm going to be looking at uh, this is the playoff spot right here, so I'm actually going to see um, who's going to who's actually going to step in and um, and push the pedal to the metal for for a big win, and not just build out my fantasy uh, my NASCAR fantasy bracket as well. So I just did that, and I'm actually seeing some uh, some similarities in this one as well. So this one is going to be a really uh, good fit for me, and this is actually. Um, you know, when this when this Daytona uh close to the close to the end of the NASCAR uh season, this one was the one that I marked on my calendar every year as well. Yeah, it's a very exciting race because it, it leads to the playoffs and it's the it's the Daytona night race and that always makes it exciting and there'll be a lot of a lot of pressure on all of these drivers that have not won yet to try and get a win to qualify for the playoffs. Yes, as well. And then with me as being a NASCAR fan, um, last week, uh, Netflix is actually doing a huge documentary on the history of NASCAR. So they haven't uh, decided on a date or a month yet for it to actually hit on Netflix as well. So whenever they do, I know I'm going to be watching this great uh, documentary documentary uh, series on uh, NASCAR as well. Yeah, Netflix and NASCAR announced yesterday that in 2024 uh, they'll have a documentary come out about these 2023 playoffs. They'll be following along with the playoffs and with the championship race, and I don't know if they released a date or not, but it is going to come out uh, next year. Yeah, so we'll be waiting for that one uh, next year as well to uh, get to see how uh, the NASCAR playoffs actually, you know, different uh, drivers that have actually – uh, probably seen in the playoffs. I might see Bubba Wallace in there somewhere along uh, the line as well. So I might see a little glimpse of my favorite uh, NASCAR driver, Bubba Wallace, as well, and uh, seeing what things might lead for him uh, this weekend as well. Yeah, Bubba is the uh, last one in on points. So if somebody wins that's not Bubba, that's outside the playoff picture, then he would be out. If he wins or if he collects enough points and Nobody is able to win that's not won yet, then he will be in the playoffs. So he is the the one on the bubble. We'll see if he ends up qualifying. Well, James, before we let you go today, I know that you wanted some trivia. What uh, what trivia did you want today? Well, I actually 
uh, came out, and I actually picked a really good one because I know Tom TV. You know, he is a firefighter. So today I would like to have firefighter trivia as well. Okay, well, that's that's certainly something different. Uh, I'm uh, I, I'm going to have to defer to the to these guys on 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 that one because I'm not gonna I'm not going to know as much as them. All right. <laughs> well. Uh, let's see. I, I can pull some stuff up here. Uh, hang on. I was not quite prepared, but here we go. Let's see. Maybe something just right. about uh, a fire department. Well, not, so well, so not so. Uh, who the man? He, he is a very famous uh, American founder. Who is responsible for the first fire company in Philadelphia? Um, and they were named. They were known as it was his name's Bucket Brigade. Very famous um, politician, first responsible for the first fire company. Um, the first fire company in Philadelphia. Um, I really don't want to get a a goat burn out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I'll I'll just probably I'll, I'll just probably put the flames out on this one. <laughs> Um, um, drawing a huge, huge blank. That's Benjamin Franklin. Oh yeah, it was uh, Benjamin Benjamin Franklin as well. Yep, is Benjamin uh, Franklin's bucket brigade. <laughs> wow, nice. Uh, all right, let's do one right. more, and then we'll have to let you go today. All right. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to find one that might be a little easier on you. Um. Okay, so uh, a, a firefighter's helmet color. Are you? Do you know? You know what I'm talking about with the helmets. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, um. What does the what does the helmet color see the the different colors? What does it signify? Um. I'll have to say the yellow one would signify. Um. I know the yellow helmet. Uh, signifies like if they're going out to do, um, like you know, going out in the in the wooded areas, like in the forest, to uh, take out like forest fires as well. Uh, I know the red one signifies that they're if they're actually going out for uh, a special uh, a special call on a unit as well, and then I think is. I think it's the black one. I'm not quite sure. I mean, you're you're pretty close. So, uh, so that what a white helmet. If you saw if you saw a firefighter wearing a white helmet, what what rank is he? I would have to say he will have to be uh, a lieutenant or a captain. Close. Go one. Go one more up from that. The the guy that's in charge of it all. Oh man, I know this one because I watched my favorite show. Uh, Chicago Fire. I know this one. Um, I'll ask to say he will be a. Uh, oh man, what is it? I always hear this 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 guy. He's like at the very top yeah, in um, uh, Chicago Fire. Yeah, Bowden. He it's 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 they call it, it's it begins with a C. Um, I think he's a. A captain? No, it's one one above that. Uh, it's not a captain, so he'll have to be 
Can't the Kansas uh, City <laughs> football team? The Chief. There we go. He is the Chief. The Chief wears a white helmet. Yeah. And on, well. on Chicago Fire, he's Chief Bowden. Yeah, it sounds well because I always watch uh, Chicago Fire and uh, Chicago um, Med as well, like the like the Chicago Fire and the Chicago uh, Medical Team as well. So I watch those two shows as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, James, that's uh, that's the trivia for today. So good job on that, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again later this week. All right, sounds good. And War Eagle, War Eagle, that is James from Montgomery joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. We're going to take our next time out of the show. Back with more in just a minute. to the show send us your thoughts via email you've got mail sports call at the tiger.fm we're done paying the bills now back to sports call on tiger 95.9 Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Brooks Childress with you here on this Tuesday afternoon. This is the first Tuesday that we do not have Thunder Chickens in seven weeks. That is sad. I'm just I'm yeah. just throwing it out there. It's I mean it's until it came next, and went. until next summer. Uh you, you only get six regular season weeks. The boys of summer right here. <laughs> uh you, Yet uh, it's still summer and the boys are not participating anymore. But um, that's just a little – I felt a little off today. There should have been a uniform that I was grabbing and shorts and all that. But uh, also would have been the hottest Tuesday of the year probably if we'd ended up playing. But uh, rest in peace through our season. Let's continue on with this Tuesday edition of the show. Let's get to today's birthdays and sports. It's time for today's birthdays and sports. All right, birthdays in sports today starts with Carl Yastrzemski, who turns 84. Former outfielder for the Boston Red Sox, Yastrzemski was born in New York, the son of Polish immigrants, and played Sandlot baseball and basketball from an early age. Eventually played Little League baseball and became the first player ever inducted into the Little League Hall of Fame. He played a year of college basketball at Notre Dame. Go Irish. Before signing with the Red Sox in 1959, made his MLB debut in 1961, spent his entire 23-year career in Boston, 18-time All-Star, 7-time Gold Glover, 3-time AL batting champ, 1-time Triple Crown winner, 1-time American League MVP. His number 8 is retired in Boston. He's a member of the MLB Hall of Fame. He is the Red Sox all-time leader in career RBIs, runs, hits, singles, doubles, total bases, and games played. Yaz, Carl Yastrzemski is 84 today. Yeah, it went to Bridgehampton School in New Jersey. Go Killer Bees. Killer Bees, okay. Yeah, killer Bees of Bridgehampton. Yeah. Bridgehampton, Bridgehampton. Let's not mince words. Uh, those bees are out to kill. Man. That's right. Okay. So, so Carl Yastrzemski, 84. 
Bill Parcells is 82, former NFL head coach. Parcells was born in New Jersey, was a standout in high school in football, baseball, and basketball. At? Oh, at uh, uh, Oradell High School in New Jersey. Go Golden Hawks. Golden Hawks. Played linebacker at Wichita State. The Shockers. Was drafted by the Lions in 1964. He played less than a year of pro football before entering coaching at Hastings University. Bouncing around colleges until being hired as the D.C. of the Giants in 1979. He was named head coach of the team in 1983. Maintained a head coaching position in the NFL until his retirement in 2006. Two-time unanimous NFL head coach of the year. Two-time Super Bowl champion with the Giants. Big tuna. Bill Parcells, 82 today. Correct. He went to Riverdale High Riverdale. Like High the school. show? River and then D-E-L-L. Riverdale High School okay. in Oradell, New Jersey. Go Golden Hawks. Before he went to Wichita, which at the time he went there, it was called the University of Wichita. Mm. Go Shockers. Before that, though, his freshman year, he actually went to Colgate. Okay, hey, go toothpaste. Let's go toothpaste. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or Raiders. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. freshman year at Colgate and then and then to the University of Wichita. Okay, so that's Bill Parcells, 82 today. Paul Molitor is 67, former MLB infielder and manager, most known for his time with the Brewers. Molitor was born in Minnesota, played college baseball for the Golden Gophers. Golden Gophers. Uh, he was a three-year starter in college, one-time All-American in 1977. He was taken third overall by the Brewers, made his MLB debut a year later. Played 21 years in Major League Baseball for the Brewers, Blue Jays, and Twins, and was a seven-time All-Star and four-time Silver Slugger. His number four is retired by the Brewers in 1993 while in Toronto. He won the World Series, was named World Series MVP. Member of the MLB Hall of Fame after his playing career, began coaching, and was a manager of the Twins from 2015 to 2018, and was named Manager of the Year in 2017. Paul Wilder is 67 today. Went to Creighton High School in St. Paul, Minnesota. It's now Creighton-Durham High School. Go Raiders. Go Raiders. And Jahari uh, Evans turns 39, former NFL guard, most known for his time with the Saints. Evans was born in Pennsylvania, played college football at D2 School Bloomsburg. Let's go Huskies. Ah, he did his research. He I was, was a three-year starter and two-time Division II All-American. In 2006, he was taken the fourth round by the Saints, played 11 of his 12 years in New Orleans, six-time Pro Bowler, five-time All-Pro, and one-time Super Bowl champion, member of the Saints Hall of Fame. Jahari Evans is 39 today. Out of Frankfurt High School in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, go Pioneers. Mm. Fine. Okay. We've had some good schools. We that had was the a kill- solid one, yeah. Killer Bees, Golden Hawks, and Raiders, and then uh, Pioneers. No, I mean, that's still well above average. It's a solid list sure. for sure. And then, of course, we have. it's always a good day when you can mention the Shockers. Yes, yes sir. Yes. Sweet. And those are the birthdays in sports today. Again, Jahari Evans, 39. Paul Molitor, 67. Bill Parcells, 82. Carl Yastrzemski, 84. We continue on with the show today. Again, coming up later, we've got the preview of the Pac-12 conference. Uh, Had a fun preview yesterday of the Big 12. It'll be Pac-12 today, ACC tomorrow, Big 10 on Thursday, SEC on Friday as we continue previewing the college football season. Let's talk a little bit more about Auburn and some of the notes that we have from Saturday's second scrimmage of the fall. We talked about it on the show yesterday, but want to join in with Brooks here, who was also at the press conference that I was at on Saturday. And again, some of the themes of the second practice was uh, Shane Hooks definitely standing out at wide receiver. 
Peyton Thorne feeling more comfortable, in the words of Hugh Freeze. We had the passing numbers on all three quarterbacks, 12 of 17, two touchdowns, one pick for Peyton Thorne, 8 of 15, two touchdowns for Robbie Ashford, 7 of 11, no touchdowns, no turnovers for Holden Gurner. We do not know yardages, to be fair, so I, you know, completion percentage is one thing. It is important, but it's not everything, uh, so we were given that. Uh, second time, though, Brooks, that Coach Hugh Freeze on the negative side of things had expected like a little bit more of an edge, I think. I think it was more problematic in the first scrimmage where he just flat out they, they got gassed and ran out of steam. But uh, second scrimmage still said that they lacked a little oomph, a little something that he expected them to have inside of during here stadium scrimmaging. Uh, so when you put those some of those things together, what do you think of their progress in the fall? Where do you think that they need to improve? And just some of your observations from – the second scrimmage of the fall obviously you know none of us are insiders we're not we don't know everything that goes on there we don't know all the the ins and outs but just from an outsider's perspective looking in uh, you know they could the the lack of oomph uh could be something as simple as it was a hot saturday afternoon in an empty stadium and yeah you you are playing you know you're out there scrimmaging in your home stadium which yeah, that's that's fun and cool, but it's still not a Saturday in the fall where you've got eighty-seven thousand some odd fans screaming their heads off and rooting you on, and you're you know you're not out there playing somebody else. You're you know it's also you're you've been hitting these same guys for two three weeks now. Uh, well, really, if you count the spring too, you've been hitting them for months now, and you just want to go out there. You're you're about ready to hit somebody else, and you're you're tired of just going up against the offense. Your your offense, you're going up against your defense, um, and so it, it it could be a couple of those factors playing into the the lack of oomph. And then you know he also talked about how he was like, are we even coming off the ball? And it's the you know some of the. Uh, some of the stuff, you know, you get a little bit of a juice when you hear like the pads hit each other or the helmets hit each other at the snap. Well, you know, you've got all the the special like uh, caps on the helmets now that, that helps protect from concussions and such that you don't really hear. He, Hugh Freeze even talked about it. You don't even hear it that much. And he, like I said, he he had to ask, "Are we coming off the ball?" Because he couldn't. He, there were some points where he didn't know that they were hitting each other as hard as they did uh, because there's not that contact. And you're, you know, as a football player. Uh, you know, I, I never played football, up, you know, but it, it's you, you think you get a little bit of a juice from hitting somebody and hearing that smack, you know, oh, I, I hit them good. And so with, with a little bit of that lack, you know, you lack a little bit of that, you, it's, there's, there's some factors why you wouldn't have as much oomph. Um, from, from what it sounds like, the, you know, the team, I, I think that it, it's this next couple weeks and you started on Saturday – uh, is all about gelling behind or gelling in front of uh, Peyton Thorne and getting comfortable with him taking the first team reps, being the starter. Although Hugh Freeze did mention that you know you brought it up, Ryan Robbie Asher had a good Saturday, a pretty decent Saturday, and said he could push Peyton, which is good because you always need someone in that backup spot that can push him. Not necessarily you know a guy that you're like at the first sign of danger, you pull pull the starter out and throw in the backup because that's how you take away confidence uh, from a player. But a, a guy that's back there that can push him, and then if when the moment comes up that he's needed on the field. Uh, you know, Thorne gets hurt or, you know, there's a situation where you just got to put Ashford in there. He's there. He's ready to take those snaps. 
Um, but you know, it, it's it. You know, you continue to build. Hugh Freeze continues to talk about we're not there yet. We're we're getting there, and so I, I think that's going to be a big thing is is continue to build the offense to where you need it to be uh, going into. Game one, yes, but realistically, game two when you're, you face Cal, and then even more realistically, game four when you face Texas A&M. For both of you guys, now that we are just days away from the season, I mean, we are, are we 11 days uh, from kickoff against UMass, obviously four days from week zero. From this entire process, from the time that we kind of knew Auburn's roster in June – to now so basically fall practice what position group do you feel most better about right I I don't know that's even the right structure of words there but but what uh, of all the question marks you have and granted we can't confirm these until they play but of what you've seen read heard in these last few weeks of, of fall practice transitioning or transitioning from fall camp to fall practice which position group do you feel better about and and are more more at ease with I, for me it's the wide receivers um just because of hearing the the new guys that are stepping up uh seeing the videos of some of the miraculous catches that, that are being made uh, just hearing the names that are stepping in there and, and we knew there was going to have to be some new blood in there and so that's the one that makes me a little bit more at ease I also now feel like you have a quarterback that can throw it a lot better and and maybe a little more consistent than, than Robbie so uh, I'm excited now for the wide receivers that that was a unit that I was really down on and just like you know who in the world is it going to be but it feels like there's some guys that are stepping up and, and you hear a guy like Rivaldo Fairweather and you know how big that dude is if he is actually making an impact in the passing game then that that thrills me and then uh, Cobb uh, is, is a name that has been thrown out there and so man I'm just I'm, I'm ready for it uh, I think one that I'm really excited about is the running back room. And it's not that it was we were down on it. It was the fact that you went a couple practices without Jarquez Hunter and you started to hear, and you knew there was talent in that room behind Hunter, but the, with his absence, you were able to hear about the the rest of those guys, and the coaches really started talking them up, and it was like these, you know, this guy's you know doing really good, this guy's you know really coming along, and so the depth behind Jarquez Hunter, sound it, it, it I'm really excited about. And like I said, we knew there was talent there, we knew the running back room had talent, but Hunter's absence really gave the rest of the running back room a chance to shine in practice and and to step up and make make a you know make more of an impact hopefully make more of an impact coming into this year because I think that's one thing that we we've we remember from the Gus Malzahn era is you had one running back maybe there was a couple more behind him but there was one running back and he would go 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 and then you'd pull him out for a play, put someone else in there in the back out there, go, go, go. It would be the same running back over. The fact that you've got a – it sounds like you've got a, a pretty good depth behind Jarquez Hunter uh, gives you some more threats at that position. And, and I'm also going to kind of echo what Tom said, the quarterback position. Uh, I think what excites me about the quarterback position is uh, the fact that Hugh Freeze was comfortable enough to name a starter before the second scrimmage. Because a lot of times in those quarterback battles – 
uh, leading into a season, you you wait till after that second scrimmage. You get one scrimmage in, you're like, all right, this is where we are, and that second scrimmage is really where you make that decision. But the fact that Hugh Freeze was confident enough to name a starter before the second scrimmage, um, that that leads me to believe that he really likes what Peyton Thorne has. And re- really, you know, it, uh, when it comes to Hugh Freeze, he's a guy that came in last year. And it was either it was early on. I don't remember if it was his introductory press conference or if it was just an early one in spring where he said he didn't like to uh, you know put his trust behind a quarterback that he hadn't seen, uh, that he hadn't physically watched play. The fact that Peyton Thorne came in and uh, so quickly earned Hugh Freeze trust to be able to get that quarterback position, uh, the starting quarterback position, really excites me about where this this offense can go and uh, specifically. So. Uh, I was going to go wide receiver, and I think that probably people could deduce that from hearing the show every day of how I've talked up some of these guys. And I think that um, just the variety of receivers, but also just the different style receiver that Auburn has for the first time in quite some time, the various options amongst that style receiver, talking about bigger bodied wide receivers, has me very intrigued. Uh, has me very optimistic that there's going to be some big-time plays made by that group. Uh, For the sake of being different, I'll go with my backup, which was offensive line play. And look, at the lines of scrimmage, we're not going to fully know what we need to know until Auburn plays really good fronts. And that's not going to start till Texas A&M. Granted, it's going to come fast and furious once you start Texas A&M because you're going to go A&M and Georgia back-to-back games, and those are going to be two of the best fronts in the league, two of the most physical teams in the league. So you're going to find out. Uh, pretty quickly in week four and week five there. Uh, and, and and so that's really when the test, it gets turned in. But I just like what I've heard. I, I feel like Hugh Freeze has been fairly honest with the assessments of his team I because mean, he's called out negatives. He talked about the lack of tackling in scrimmage one, talked about how still working on the linebacker room, uh, still working on every down players up front. And so I think he's been honest about it, and I've not heard many bad things about the offensive line. And scrimmage one, I understand that they maybe had a lesser of a second half of scrimmage. Again, that probably because of the conditioning element of it. But they were moving people around in the first scrimmage, which, look, that's all you can do, right? Even if this defensive line does not end up being great against the run, all you can do is do what you should and, and move them out of the way. And uh, they've talked a little bit about Xavion Miller, as somebody that's a difference maker on the offensive line. That's not someone necessarily that was on my radar this summer, but he has really impressed. And if you're getting singled out as somebody that's impressed to the point that they're moving some other people around on the offensive line to try to accommodate Miller getting in there, like moving Gunnar Britton to left guard, then, hey, that tells me that there's some positive movement in that offensive line, that someone is standing out to the point where he needs to be on the field I'm not sure there's been many offensive line here the last couple of years that could fit that bill. So I'm I'm intrigued and and again getting more optimistic about the offensive line. I think it goes to say what we were talking about yesterday that I'm pretty optimistic overall about the offense. I think the offense will end up being a top thirty or forty offense this year uh, in college football. I think it will go pretty well. I don't think it'll be the reason why Auburn loses many games. If Auburn loses games, it's going to be because of the defensive front. And, I, again, I, I think that ultimately that will be the reason. they. I mean, they're going to lose some. They're going to lose to Georgia. I think they will lose to LSU and Alabama. But um, the difference in these other games will be can they make enough stops up front, enough plays up front against the likes of A&M, Ole Miss. Ole Miss is going to run the ball really well. 
and Auburn has played Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss very well. But can they stop the run? Because what was that number we looked up yesterday, Tom, that they allowed like 440 rushing yards to Ole Miss Miss last last year? year. Uh, They played them well in that they scored. Obviously, they did not stop Ole Miss, uh, especially in the ground game. So, anyway, I think that the the narrative has has and will continue to change in offense. I think this will go back from being an an average to below average offense the last few years to being an above average offense this year. I just think it's about that defensive front and think about generating negative plays on defense, something that will be worth monitoring throughout the season. We are out of time for hour number one. When we come back in hour number two, we'll have more from the college football world and some from the world of the National Football League. Tell you about a streak that ended last night that you might not have known about. Also talk about one of the key players in the NFL uh, seeking a trade, which does not happen every so often. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And then a little bit later, Sports Call 5 at 5 and a preview of the Pac-12 Conference. Stay tuned. More Sports Call after this. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday afternoon. Another bright, sunny day. Wow, full of heat. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Tom continues to go through the very. We have not talked much Mountain Dew recently. Uh, don't worry, the listener that has listened to the show for a while. Tom PV religiously every day another do the do. Uh, I'll tell you what. Today is my personal favorite of Code Red. By it, the way, it's been long enough where I'm starting to get on on waiting for Tom to walk in with a new one because it's, yeah, it's, it's been, been about a few months. Yeah, it, it's yeah. been well. It's, the, the summer ones came out. I think we have to wait until the fall. And okay. Then, but it's it's just getting about that point where I'm like, all right, maybe maybe today he's gonna walk in with one. You know? all right. <laughs> I, I every don't, I every don't. time you walk in and you, I, I hear you wandering around and not in the not coming right into the studio. I'm like, is it new due day? <laughs> and it never is. As you can tell, most of them are usually pretty good. So that's why well, we wondered. Where that. did you find the the which one was it that I really liked last time? The, the guava was it guava? Yeah, I mean they're all in the stores right now. I can't find it anywhere. I've been looking. 
We also need to get more cups, too. I'm just going to say uh, that out loud, too. <laughs> well, we burned through them all with our yeah, nasty taste soda taste test yep. and our Coke taste test. Yep. Or not Coke taste soda. Various sodas, yeah. The various sodas, and then we had the nasty sodas. Yep. We never did the... I mean, there's still time I could do it tomorrow if we really wanted to. There's We never did, like, the various flavors of one brand of cola. But I feel like once you discern that that is coke etc then you'd be able to be like oh that's vanilla and all that i don't know how confident do you feel about that you feel pretty confident i, I mean i felt confident on the first soda taste test and missed coca-cola because i was like <laughs> this is flat and it i again like, no, confirmed it was not i think if you threw like a cherry vanilla one in there i think someone would say oh it's vanilla someone would say oh it's cherry i don't know how many people would uh-huh, say oh it's cherry and vanilla them. yeah uh-huh. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. It might be worth doing. We'll see. I don't know. I'll think about it in the next 24 hours. No problem. Absolutely no promises, though. Anyway. I can always go and just buy a whole bunch of Mountain Dews. and <laughs> Yeah. that that You can also do it with Mountain Dew because there's millions of Mountain Dews yeah. there. So I don't know. We'll, we'll talk off-air. This is more of an off-air discussion. Let's, let's continue with on-air discussions. Uh, and let's continue with football. However, let's switch to the NFL a little bit. We'll be doing some NFL previews probably next week. Uh, I know the season's still two weeks away, but uh, once we get college football, we'll be breaking down college football and and all that good stuff, too. So it's never too early, though, to mention a couple big topics when they come available. How about this one in the NFL, where normally we've talked about don't care a whole lot about preseason, uh, various opinions there. Uh, I certainly care a lot about uh, what the Bucs do in the preseason, but... uh, to each their own as far as preseason certainly understand not paying close attention to it however there was a streak that ended last night that i was not aware of i wasn't either uh, until until yesterday the baltimore ravens they lost the washington commanders who by the way played their starters a lot in that game same how looked pretty good we'll see how he is in the regular season but played a lot of starters to beat the baltimore ravens with a last second field goal by joey sly normally don't care about the results preseason games however that ended a win streak of 24 games by the baltimore ravens in the preseason uh they've been playing three preseason games for a few years so some of that was uh, four preseason game years too but that seems like one of the more odd and hard to believe streaks and of course it means absolutely nothing the ravens you know, have had good teams, but they've not won a bunch of Super Bowls. Uh, I believe the last Super Bowl they won was that Flacco Super Bowl with John Harbaugh. What's that? Probably about ten years ago now, or yeah. or so. So maybe even before this the streak started. Uh, and and so it it does not mean anything until uh, I mean to the regular season, and it's not translated necessarily to the regular season. But the fact of winning all your preseason games for seven or eight consecutive years. Is it's just weirdly hard when you think about it. It's all these different players. It's second and third string guys. I mean, just random people that are helping contribute to that. That some don't even make NFL rosters like ever uh, are contributing to these wins. And to do that that many times with that many different people, it's oddly impressive. I don't know, guys. What did you think when you heard about the streak? I, it, it was it was neat, but I I mean it was it's still preseason. I never I guess I didn't even like really look into it that much. Like oh wow they haven't done a lot with that streak. It was like oh well that's interesting. 
And then it's preseason. It's like, meh, okay. Well, I know, but I'm just saying, like, are you not kind of wowed about how, how funky hard that is? Oh, oh yeah. I, I mean, it, 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 trust me, it, it definitely came across like that. You know, it's like, wow, that's difficult. But, I, you know, I just, it's just kind of like what it was. It's, yeah. Well, you know, it, it, I think I said it yesterday. You brought this up in the office yesterday going into the game. And I think I said, wow, it's an impressive because uh, it, you get to the point where it's like, hey, our third stringers and guys that we're going to cut next week are better than your guys that are going to get cut next week. Like that, that's, uh, it's, it, that, that's what's impressive about it is it's cause it's not your starters. It's not like you're looking at it and saying, Oh, well the Baltimore Ravens are just the best team ever. Well, right. no, it's, it's their second and third and fourth and, uh, cut guys, string guys that are just going out there and competing. And they're, uh, they, it, it really is a testament to the, the Ravens coaching staff to get these guys to play as hard as they do to get to win all those football games. Yeah, it's just something that caught me is just impressively odd because, I mean, Joe Flacco was still starting quarterback last time they had lost prior to last night, and and uh, it just it felt like it was something that, yes, seemingly insignificant, but just hard to to figure how that happened over across that many years. It's uh, I I don't even know a good comp for it, but anyway, that that struck me that did come to an end last night. There were twenty four games won consecutively in the preseason another nfl topic for you and that is one of the game's elite running backs requesting a trade yesterday asking for a trade and jonathan taylor and the colts basically allowing uh himself to be shopped that's another sign of running back times that is a top five running back in the league maybe yeah. top three yeah he is on his rookie deal still. Now, I know that this is the last year of it coming up, so you're going to have to pay him the next year. But the Colts are a young team that, quite frankly, kind of need him to even be like not awful because Anthony Richardson is going to be the quarterback this year, and I have no idea if Anthony Richardson is going to be a good NFL quarterback or not. I just know he's going to make some freak plays from time to time. Uh, so that felt like a weird move. What would you, what would you give to the Colts for Jonathan Taylor? You were a G NFL GM. Hmm. It depends on what situation I was in. I, I guess you were. You would go at it with a guy that really needs a running back. Um. Oh, man, those first round picks are just so valuable. Uh. Cash considerations. <laughs> uh. No, I'd I'd give them. You know what I'd do? I'd give them a. I, I would look on my roster and I would say, here is our, you know, our, our second guy. Here's our second running back and a, a second and a third round pick. I'll give you two picks and a, and one running back for your top running back. Cause I don't want to give up a first round pick. Those are so valuable. Yeah. It's, it's just, if, if you're bad, they're really, it's a really good pick. And then if you're not, if you're good, they're very, they're very uh, highly valued on draft night where you could say, I want to move up. Here's the second first round pick. Let me move up a little bit. And like, all right, cool. Yeah. So second and third and maybe your number two running back, yeah. Tom, Tom, what do you think a great running back like Taylor's worth trade market? Oh, man, I mean, that's just, like, like, if, okay, let yeah. me give you a more detailed scenario. Like okay. if, if, if you're a pretty good team, okay, but you're not great. You're like a borderline playoff team and you got, you're pretty close to the cap. You don't have a great running game. Taylor would be a, a, a pretty, pretty big upgrade 
Like, how interested are you in him? Are you going all in for him? Are you cautiously I'm not treading water? I'm, I'm, I'm not going all in. In the NFL right now, I'm not going all in okay. on a running back at all. Okay. Just because Good. that's – I agree. Yeah. It, it's I a, just wanted to see if you would. No. Shoot, no. <laughs> I, no, you can't. It's a test. <laughs> it's um, – Because we had an entire conversation with the show, warding against big paid running backs and, yeah. and elite running backs not really mattering that much. Uh, you know, um, no, I'm not. I'm not going all in. Uh, I mean, unless unless you just are a surefire Christian McCaffrey, or if you're a surefire Derrick Henry, and even I mean, then, it's like, you know, are you gonna pay them what you're gonna pay for a top caliber quarterback or a top caliber wide receiver? No, I mean McCaffrey was he's a uh, sixteen million. I don't know the exact. Uh, record, I, I think McCaffrey's at McCaffrey's at sixteen. Uh, Alvin Kamara's at fifteen. Derrick Henry's at twelve five. Okay. Um. And so, uh, I, no, I'm not going all in on him. I, you know, now for him, ten. You know, I know Taylor's going to make uh, if someone gives him the deal, he's going to make what they make because yeah. it's a couple years. Uh, more down the line, and Taylor. Taylor, just to be clear. Taylor is still absolutely in those in the category of those guys. Sure, he's just younger in some in some cases. But I, but I think just the value of running backs, like we've talked about, the value of NFL running backs is just going down so much that it's. Oh man, I yeah, I just I I would I would not personally want to go all in on, on a running back. So you would not be interested in a trade, really? Not not. Uh, it, it would have to be like, for, like he said, for, like Brooks. I say he, like y'all can see me nodding my head. Like Brooks said, cash considerations. I would definitely not be giving up a, a key component to what you've got built for him. Absolutely not. You give up a second round pick. I, I'd maybe give up a second round. I, I definitely would not give up a first round. I, that'd be a, that'd be a heck no. I agree. Um, I, I could I could probably stomach a second round pick because like he is younger and I mean he still has some legs to him, so I mean he can be of some value to him. But as far as like money and you're talking about cap space and things like that, it's like you man you got to be really careful how much you shell out for a running back because you're limiting your high value positions where you actually do where you've got to have something like that uh, another skill position to survive in the NFL because you're not just going to survive with. A good running back, and then the rest of it is sure. crap. I mean, you have to have something else. So, Jonathan Taylor, just to remind people, remember his second year in the league, 2021, he led the NFL in rushing yards and touchdowns, 1,800 rushing yards and 18 touchdowns. Last year he was injured a little bit, but in 11 games he still had 861 yards. So that was on par with his rookie uh, year uh, average per game, which was 79 or 77.9. That last year was seventy eight point three, so he was eleven hundred sixty nine yard back in his rookie year with eleven TDs. So again, you're getting a top five running back in the NFL. The concern is, is that he's going to be due up for his big contract again. That's that is why the Colts are willing to do this because they know that if they keep him, uh, they will have to pay him. I mean, they'll have to pay him a top five running back rate, and the NFL is still going for double digit millions per year. Um, you know, I think that the Colts are fair to ask for a first round pick, but they're just not going to get it. And I'm just not sure. Now, maybe some teams 
zig while the other zag. You know, Atlanta kind of did that, taking B. John Robinson so high in the NFL draft. And you just pound the running game, pound, pound, pound the running game. But, again, we talked about it on the show. It was one of the most fun segments I think we did this summer where we deep dove into the running backs in the NFL. And we said, you know what? Elite running backs really don't help you that much. They might make you a respectable team or an interesting team to watch. They don't help you win the Super Bowl, period. They don't. And that's why these running backs are not getting paid. All these NFL teams have caught on to that. This is a throwing league. Um, and, and so, like, yes, Taylor brings value for whatever a running back brings because he's one of the best running backs. But, again, what value does that actually bring at the end of the day? I, I thought about this. My offer, and I put myself in the, the Bucks GM shoes because why not? Bucks cannot run the ball whatsoever. The Bucks are still on a timeline of trying to win right now because that's who Todd Bowles is as a coach because he's not going to be around much longer. You've got a veteran receiving core, veterans all over the place, Vontae David, etc. So, like, this team was built to win with Tom Brady, which was now, and Tom Brady's gone. So, until you get rid of some of the other stalwarts on the team, like Evans, then you're still technically built for now, even though it's not built as well. I think the Bucks' offer would be Rashad White, which was their third-round pick from last year. He was a rookie last year. He ended up being the reason the Bucks did not want Leonard Fournette anymore. Uh, Rashad White, a third-round pick and a fifth or a sixth. Uh, that would be my offer if I was Tampa's GM because you're basically saying I'm giving you two-thirds. I'm giving you you know, Rashad White, who's going to end up being your starter or your 1A, 1B guy, and then I'm giving you a third and a fifth. Might not be the best offer. Don't care. That's the offer. Uh, take it or leave it. Uh, because, again, first-round picks, the, these running backs these running backs are depreciating assets. They, they're like a car. You drive them off the lot, they are automatically less valuable. That's how NFL running backs have become because they're taking time bumps. You're not getting 15 great years out of a running back. You're lucky you won't even get 10. Nine times out of ten, you're getting seven to eight years of NFL uh, of these guys' primes, and again, that's still not even that locked uh, airtight. Some guys have less primes than that because you include injuries and and all that good stuff. You're not getting double digit years out of many running backs, and so they are depreciating assets. So Jonathan Taylor, sure, I mean, like he's been awesome. He. At every, I mean, every time he's been out there, he's been great. And he was picked 41st overall, which is early second. You can argue, yeah, he played like first-round running back if there ever was one. Sure, absolutely, the 1,800-yard season's insane. But he's not worth first anymore. He wasn't taken there to begin with. So I look at him as saying, like, straight up, do you trade a first-round pick for him? Absolutely not. Do you trade a second-round pick? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe if you are a good team. And that second-round pick is going to be in the 50s or 60s. But I'm not trading above 41 for him. That's where he was picked, and we're three years later. And, he, I mean, he might be great for five or six more years. He might be great for two more years. That's the that's the state of NFL running back. I can't pay – I don't feel good paying you double-digit millions for multiple years. I don't feel good spending huge amounts of draft capital when that's how teams build. Like, period. That's how teams build. Did Kansas City get good because they got other teams' players, or did they – get good because they drafted a franchise quarterback and had really good players around him that were also from the team. Well, they got good because of that. I mean, like 
these teams generate because of great drafts. Did New England keep signing great free agents every year, or did they make great draft choices every year, especially defensively? They kept making great draft choices. That's why they had 20 years, because they kept finding these random players from eastern northern Washington <laughs> or Illinois State, you know, you know, Illinois State at Nevada College, like or, not even things that made sense. Or taking a quarterback at Kent State and turning him into an all-pro wide receiver. Right. Like that, their development, their drafting, that's how they kept it going for so long. And so when you're giving away those opportunities to draft and develop, you better be sure. You better be really sure. Uh, and that's also why, like, the high-stakes draft picks – they usually don't get traded for current NFL players. Not as often. Like a Russell Wilson trade once in a blue moon. Maybe Christian McCaffrey trade once in a blue moon. But more times than not, you're talking about first and second round draft assets being traded in other draft trades, like draft day trades. Like, hey, let's if you're Carolina, let's move up to get the number one pick and take Bryce Young. Okay, well now I've got to give you something lucrative in future drafts. Okay. Like those are the more common draft structure trade so anyway Jonathan Taylor like top I mean this is a skill position this is the running back position you all will take running backs very high in your fantasy drafts you will have your I, I'm talking as you because I do not do fantasy I know I'm in the vast minority there uh, but like everyone will take running backs you'll care immensely about them but for these NFL franchises they just don't care about them I mean that should have been obvious after the Saquon Barkley fiasco and some people want to say, "Oh, well, how do running backs get their value back?" I don't know. They matter. I like. I like. I don't know. I mean, like, I'm sorry. It sucks, but the realities are the realities. And once you get through rookie contract, it's it's a year to year basis with these running backs. I mean, it, it, San Francisco should feel lucky that McCaffrey's not broken down yet. To be honest with you, with as many injuries as he had in Carolina. They should feel lucky that he is still functioning as a top five or six back in the league because that that that's a year to year thing. That there could be one more injury and that be it. Um, Derrick Henry, even though he's from another planet, after that injury two years ago, Tennessee should feel lucky that he came back and was productive last year, even as big as he is, because that's that's a big boy that's approaching thirty. That's any year now. That's that's going to start to go downhill, uh, and so. Indianapolis is just like, yeah, I mean, we're probably not paying you $15 million a year next year when we don't even know if we're going to be any good. We're not going to start We're not going to start our process of trying to be good by paying the running back a lot of money. So those were the thoughts on Jonathan Taylor. I just found it fascinating because, again, the league has caught on to this. We've caught on to this. The 180 in value running backs from 20 years ago to today uh has just been falling off a cliff and again i for every reason we talked about throughout the summer i do think it's justified in the nfl and so i do not think indianapolis will get a first round pick and uh someone will be paying a lot even to be giving them a second round pick to be quite honest with you out of time for this segment when we come back more of auburn's first and auburn's favorite sports talk show you're listening to the tuesday edition of sports call on tiger 95.9 <laughs> Sports. 
Sports Call crew wants to hear from you. Give us a phone call at 334-887-3401. I'm Jeff Whitaker, Jr., former Auburn Tigers defensive tackle and national champion, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan Boyd, Tom Peavy, and Brooks Childers with you here on this Tuesday afternoon. Coming up in just a little bit, we're going to start previewing the Pac-12 conference. The last voyage of the Pac-12, not the last voyage of the Demeter, which is the uh, Dracula movie out right now, which I may or may not have seen last night at a local movie theater. Uh, But uh, it's the last voyage of the Pac-12. We're going to talk about it. In just a little bit. want to give you a few minutes of Braves today. We've not spent a a good segment on the Braves in a while. I know this is coming on the heels of a uh, decisive defeat last night to the New York Mets, 10-4. Braves and Dodgers is the intriguing race. And again, that four-game series in L.A. is coming up in about a week and a half or so. That's going to feel like it's going to determine... Uh, who ends up being the one seed? That's that's guys. Honestly, the only thing I care about right now, other than obviously staying healthy, I just want to do what it takes to maintain the the one seed in the NL. That's the only thing that could make me slightly bothered. I've been having an increasingly bad feeling about it because LA has been awesome since the All Star break. Uh, Freddie Freeman is a legitimate MVP candidate. I know that we'd like to live in a world where we just think that Acuna's already won it. That's not true. Um, he is leading it, and he's still leading it by a fair amount, but it's not impossible that he, he that Olsen or Freeman uh, could end up taking it from him if, if something changes here in the last month and a half. Um, but the thing that to watch out for, Braves are not losing this division. They're not dropping the three because the NL Central uh, is not awesome. It's just that, that focus on the Dodgers. I'm already – I'm score- I thought in this great year – that Atlanta's just been awesome. I just not give a damn about any of the other scores. And here I am every single night I'm checking the Dodgers score to figure out the Braves are going to hold on to that first first place in the National League. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, you know, the, the Braves have been playing really, really well. It's it's the Dodgers have gotten hot. You know, you, you look down the stretch, the, they, they've started to, they, they've really clawed their way back into it and, um you know, it's it's a testament to their talent. They're they're always there competing for that one seed. Um, it, it's it, it's really you know the the Braves they stumbled a bit out of the gate back uh, out of the second gate when you exited the uh, the uh, the All Star break, but they they found their footing a little bit and they've been they've been playing real still playing really good baseball um, here here as of late. But it's just it, it's every time you see, every time you get one of those, you know, one a series or one a one every week or so Braves loss, you check that that Dodger score and it's like, well, they're right there, they're, they they did win. So <clears throat> what are we doing, guys? Um, but you know, it, it's it's the you know the Braves, 
you know, obviously nothing at this nothing at this point is locked up because you still got you know a month and a half, two months left in the year, um, and so it's it, it's you're you're fighting for that one seed. Um, you you're on you feel like you're on cruise with the with the division. Um, although the Phillies have gotten warm, but it, it's you know it's still a thirteen and a half, thirteen game lead, um, uh, twelve and a half, whatever it is right Kyle now. Kyle Schwarber still hitting yeah. one eighty five. Yeah, like, I just, you know, um, and Ooh. so yeah, he's terrible. So it, yeah, he's hit thirty something homers though. It, it's um, you know, so you're sitting there, you you feel like you're on cruise for the for the division. It's this, it's the one seed race. And that can play a really big role, especially because if, if you get into a – say you get into the NLCS against a, a team like the Dodgers, if you can get more games at home, that can matter, especially in front of that Truist Park crowd. That can be a big, big factor when it comes to who, how that series is determined. Yeah. Um, the last night I think was, I think I called it a throwaway game. I mean, you had some, you had some guys on the uh, pitching that you are not in your normal rotation right there. And, and so – not too worried about that. Um, but, yeah, the Dodgers, that's going to be a huge series. Just hope that the Braves can have the momentum. They get back on the winning track today. they got got uh, Elder going onto the mound, so it's one of their normal rotation guys. Uh, get back into the winning ways against the Mets. So the last thing you want to do is, is find yourself into a slump and have the Phillies get hot to where it makes it at least uncomfortable. Um, to, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be like last year. If you remember last year, the Mets led that division uh, for the longest, longest time, and it felt like they were pulling away from it. And then they cooled off, and the Braves got hot, and ended up taking over from. Them. You don't want the repeat of that. I don't think that's going to happen. I think oh, the, Bra- no, the Braves are built. Not. Yeah, the Braves are just built it, way different. It by this point, the Braves had what were a few back. They were already. They were already back, right. Yeah, they were already no. coming back on it. Yeah, and the Braves are just built different. I mean, they're. They're they're breaking records on the offensive side of things. I mean, but you just want to keep it going, keep that pace, keep that distance. But it's going to be a big series against the Dodgers because yeah, I mean they are they they're good. Uh, Freeman's good, Betts is good. I mean they've got the lineup that they've got. Their pitching staff is good. Uh, it's going to be a heck of a series, and I mean it's definitely going to be one that you would think would be a precursor to the postseason. Yeah, I mean, there's the American League's more muddied, but yeah. the National League, there are two teams clearly above everyone else. That's right. the Braves and Dodgers. Because again, so the Braves are eighty and forty four, the Dodgers seventy six and forty seven. That's three and a half games the Braves have in the Dodgers. After LA, the third best record is a tie between the Phillies and Brewers at sixty eight and fifty seven. That's oh. nine behind LA. So again, that's twelve and a half behind Atlanta, nine behind LA. There, that's a clear two. Now, the Phillies yeah. have played really solidly the sure. last month, and they're playing better, and the Brewers are even playing a little better. The Cubs are playing a little better. Some teams are playing better than they have been. But they're but just the, so far but the, back. But the two best teams are the Braves and Dodgers, period. Yeah. American League is, I don't know, and I don't pretend to know. I know the Wander Franco stuff is really hurt in Tampa, although Tampa's team has still been fine. They're 6-4 and four in their last 10, so yeah. they're not completely imploding. But they're, they're, not, but they're, they're not three as... back behind Baltimore. Yes, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Three behind Baltimore. I'm saying, yep, let me, yep. Uh, so Tampa is not completely out of it, but obviously they fell behind Baltimore around the All-Star break. They've not caught back up to Baltimore yet. They trail the Orioles, who have the best record in the American League, by three. 
But I'm just saying I wouldn't rule Tampa out of that either. So you've got two viable teams in the American League East. Maybe three if you want to throw in Toronto, who's 69-56. That's, again, uh, that's technically one game better than even the uh, Phillies and Brewers are in the National League. And then the AL West, good luck figuring this out. 72-53 Texas, who have lost five in a row, by the way. 71-55 and 55 Houston, they're one and a half back. And 70-55 and 55 Seattle, who has won seven in a row, sparked by that Julio Rodriguez smorgasbord of hits last week. So three teams with at least 70 wins in the American League West and within two games of each other. So I can argue there's five to six teams in the American League that could make the ALCS, ultimately could make the World Series. Uh, I still have a sneaking suspicion Houston's going to pull it off. I don't like them. I'm tired of them. I never liked them to begin with, to be fair. But I have a sneaking suspicion that they're going to end up uh, at least one of those ALS or ALCS teams. And then, again, the Baltimore-Tampa bit, the American League East, is tough to figure out. Baltimore's been better lately. And, again, the Franco stuff does matter to Tampa. Um, Texas brings in Scherzer to try to make this postseason run. And Seattle's the hottest of all of them. So it's an intriguing battle there. But back to the Braves for one more moment. Then want to talk about one more college football item before we take our next break. When we're looking at the Braves, I don't worry too much about something that has made people on socials upset, which, to be fair, everyone gets upset all the time on social media. It's what you do. Um but, you know, people not liking Yanni Chirinos, um, vying for Alan Winans, who then got shelled himself last night. I just want to, again, say that spot in the rotation does not matter. and It does not matter in the postseason in particular. It is the fifth spot in the rotation. They will not start five people in the, rot- in the rotation in the postseason. They will go with Max Freed, Spencer Strider, Bryce Elder, and Charlie Morton. They're not on touch a fifth starter. You get two minutes. You get days off in the postseason. Max Freed absolutely can go twice in a series. So can so can really any of them, to be frank, because you're going to have four to five days off between starts, even with four man rotation. They're not using that fifth starter. So if you want to worry about it for like if they if it comes up in the Dodger series, sure. Okay, you, you know it's going to have to be pitched what eight to eight nine more times in the regular season. So fine. Okay, I right. get it, but. Do not think that that well. We've got to figure that out. No, we don't. No, they don't. They they literally do not. Um, so I do want to dispel that because I've heard a lot of grumbling about that spot in the rotation. Why are they putting Soroka back up? Because it doesn't matter. <laughs> it just it just does not matter. Uh, so they will go with four people in the rotation, and then their bullpen has actually been tremendous. I know they gave up a couple last night. Brad Hand came in, uh, gave up a couple, gave up a big home run to Lindor. But their bullpen, for the most part, has been tremendous. It's been one of the MLB leaders uh, in ERA. So bullpen's been really good. Iglesias, since blowing a couple early in the year, I'm going to jinx him, and I'm so <laughs> sorry for this, but he's he's saved like 17 in a row, 16 in a row, something like that. He's been awesome. Uh, Colin McHugh's been versatile. A.J. Minner has been much, much better since the first month or two of the year. Still waiting to get Jesse Chavez back, Dylan Lee. So there's still room to get even a little bit better. If those guys ever come back, uh, so the the team's in a good spot, um, and it's just that Dodger series at the end of the month slash beginning of September that four game set that's going to be fascinating. And I have a feeling I know the Dodgers are a little older than the Braves. Just go ahead and kind of put it on repeat 
I don't see why these two teams will not be in the deep in the postseason the next five to seven years. Um, Mookie Betts ain't that old. Max Muncy's not that old. Uh, some of their star- starters like Tony Gonsolin and Walker Buehler not that old. They got a couple older guys. Freeman's obviously a little older, and, and Kershaw's a little older, but. It's the Dodgers. They're going to spend money until they're good. I was going to say, <laughs> well, and that's just it. They're going to spend money. So, I mean, a lot of top prospects out there, the or top players out there around the league, yeah. that's the ones that the Dodgers like to swoop in and get. Yeah, and it's like if if Seattle ever loses Julio Rodriguez, come on down. Yeah, You're hey, a Dodger. Yeah, yeah. You know, if uh, Shohei Otani wants the other L.A. Right. You want to win more, but stay in L.A. Here's the Dodgers, yeah. you know. That, they're the team that can pay the vast amounts of money. Right. Braves, The Braves can do a little bit of that, but not to that yeah. extent. So The Braves had to be smart, and they were. Yeah. And they locked up their guys, and they'll be able to fill in the margins with other guys. But, yeah, they're not going to be uh, – if, if, if as much as we'd love for them to land Shohei Otani, I would be absolutely shocked if they were yeah. actually really a player. Uh, and that I think that's going to be for the big, the biggest market teams there. All right, one more college football item for you want to get to, uh, and then go to our next break, or maybe this takes the whole entire rest of the hour. Uh, in which case, we'll just go to a, a longer break there. Uh, want to get to the Jim Harbaugh stuff briefly because I know some other uh, it's making the rounds on talk radio and that sort of thing. Uh, Brooks was uh, talking a little bit about NRG and Brooke was listening to Chuck Oliver a little bit earlier today on AM 1230 WAED. You can listen to that each and every day from 11 to 1 on 1230 AM. But he's talking a little bit about Jim Harbaugh. Of course, we talked about this when it came out uh, three weeks ago, two, four weeks ago, uh, a week to be named later ago, um, about him being suspended for three games. And then it transpired into last week where the NCAA was it was reported that NCAA was not really accepting that and that that was not a that was not a mutually agreed upon punishment and so it was then it was like well is there even going to be a suspension now or is the NCAA going to target something bigger and they might still target something else but now Michigan has just went ahead and self-imposed the three-game suspension for Jim Harbaugh. And these are stemming from lying about what were ultimately, I don't want to say nothing burgers, but something that was not a big deal. It was impermissible contact of recruits during the COVID period. Those are not level one violation. They're level two violations, which are the definition of like, fine, we'll slap you on the wrist. Um, So not huge violations. There were several of the level two violations, but not... The, not the big stuff, but lying to the NCAA is, in fact, a level one violation. That's what Jim Harbaugh did about it. So he's going to miss the first three games of the year, which, again, we talked about this at the time. We'll go over it again now since it's relevant. Are just really big knee knockers, guys. Can I entice you with a Michigan hosting a pirate, such as East Carolina's Pirates in week one? How about they host a team for Vegas? That can get rally right against UNLV. Or, or, hear, hear me out here, a week three matchup against Bowling Green. Ooh. Whoa. So your three non-conference games, which, by the way, uh, I'm going to take an opportunity because I've heard this too much in national media last year when the likes of Joel Klatt thought that they knew that what they were talking about and they were criticizing SEC teams for playing, in his words, uh, UAB, give me a break. Uh, give me a break with East Carolina, UNLV, and Bowling Green, please. 
Okay, I know you played nine conference games, but you gave them right back by playing three nobodies in non conference. So let's just be clear about that next time we're so uh, so overly antagonizing the SEC because they play some weaker opponents. Anywho, that's the three that Jim Harbaugh. I didn't know I'd go out for blood today. I I apologize. I don't know. I got aggressive there, but those are the three games Jim Harbaugh suspended for. Guys, is that enough? Did you even care to begin with? Should the NCAA still be looking to do more? What's your take on Jim Harbaugh? I, I mean, I I think the NCAA looked at it, did enough. I think it, yeah, it's a level one violation, but I think it's a minor level one violation. I mean, we're not talking about what Jeremy Pruitt did. We're not talking about what some of these other coaches have been accused of. Yeah, it was bad. Punish him. It's still three games. I get it. You know, and of course Michigan is doing that, but. Um, I mean, I, I think there's a lot bigger fish out there to fry right now as far as NCAA needs to figure out a way to crack down on the NIL. They need to find a way to crack down on some other things that are going on right now. It's a very minor thing that Jim Hart – I almost said Jim Harson. Jim Harbaugh oh, no. did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no Harson talk here. Harbaugh. Um, it. It's a big deal that he lied about it, but in the big scheme of things, it's really not that big of a deal. So I mean, suspend him for a few games, move on. Uh, you know, if you're if you're gonna if the NCAA is really gonna want to like show their teeth and look, hey, you know, we're here to enforce some rules. It's like, okay, well, cool. There's a lot of other stuff going on that y'all need to bear your teeth on and focus on, especially with the NIL and the people, you know, teams and boosters and everything abusing nil and doing things like that sure bear your teeth on that but i mean uh you know a phone call that he lied about or whatever it was it's like eh. go ahead brooks uh because uh, i'm gonna have another flame job at this time of harbaugh so go ahead um it, it, it's a slap on the wrist it's it it's it you know it Ooh, you have to coach your first three games without your head coach, Rich Rod, would win those wow. three games at Michigan. By the way, sure. Uh, you know, it's it's. I could probably win those games at Michigan. I could probably yeah. tr- trot out there and say, "Hey, guys, tell McCarthy calls on plays. You got it. Let's have a good game. All right." And that would be my pregame speech, and we'd go out there and win the football games. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it, it's. It, it yes, the NCAA has bigger fish to fry, but also. If you know, if you're gonna say this is a level one violation, treat it as a level one violation. You know, it don't don't you know don't step around and be like, oh well, you know, it's a level one, but you know, it's 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 okay, it's okay. It may you know you you gotta you know if 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 Jim Harbaugh. You know, if you're in, you know, he may, he probably doesn't think like this, but if you're, you know, if, if you were to do this and as a coach, you're like, oh, I can lie to the NCAA and I'm going to get to suspended for these three games. Psh, well, guess what? I'm going to do again. Lie to the NCAA because I'm just going to get a little slap in the wrist and my football team's still going to go out there without me and kick butt for three weeks. And then I'm going to come back just in time for conference play. And then we're going to run the table again. Maybe not Ohio State, but we're going to, you know, almost run the table again. And so. I don't know. It's it's a it it feels like there should have been a little bit something else there. I I I, I agree. The NCAA's got bigger fish to fry than a coach lying to them about you know oh I didn't text this guy or I I didn't text this guy. Well, you kind of did, but you know whatever. And so there there probably should be something more. 
it's it's just gotten to the point where the NCAA's punishments are so uh, sporadic, and it's just it doesn't feel like they actually have like a book that says a rule book that says this is what these punishments should be. Yeah. You know, my, my only thing is that you know because this is something that directly involves something Jim Harbaugh did. Are you trying to punish Michigan? Or are you trying to punish Jim Harbaugh? If you're trying to punish Jim Harbaugh, then I mean, yeah, I mean with a suspension. You are punishing him. Okay, sure. It's it's three cupcake games. I get that. However, it is punishment. You are being punished. Those three games you can't coach, which means now you are definitely under the radar. You can't screw up again because we've already disciplined you once, and if you turn around and mess up again, then we're really going to hammer down on you. So he is being punished. If – the Michigan, if the other football players, if the you know, if Michigan football program itself did not have a benefit over whatever the text messages were, why are you going to punish them? They had nothing to do with it. That's something Harson did. Punish him. Don't punish the other kids. Punish him. Something Harbaugh did. You said Harson again. I said Harson again. Yeah. Why is Harson on my brain? Uh, please. Yeah, I don't know. Please. I mean, gee, Tom's foretelling some I mean, something coming down I, the right I get, I get it. It, it begin, they both begin with an HA, but yeah. I mean, that's about it. So, Har- gosh, Harbaugh. okay, real quickly, would it be different to you? Would the three game suspension be different to you if somebody that mattered was in the three games? Like if if it was three non conference games, but say they were playing Notre Dame this year, and he had to miss the Notre Dame game week two, week three, whatever, would that matter to you? Or if a couple of the games were conference games, would that matter to you? I, I mean, is it about who they're playing, or is it about the length for you? Let's guess what I'm getting at. See, I mean, my my thing is that it's my whole thing is he's being he is being punished. I mean, you right. may you may not like the three games that it because their schedule just set up with the three games. Okay, you know, he's still being punished. Does it have as much of an effect as if it were a big game? No. But you're still being punished for three games. You're still suspended for three games, and you are having to take the punishment and deal with that. So, you know, to me, it would be worse if they just were like, "No, you know, hey, we're just, you know, we're 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 gonna fine you a little bit of money and let you go on about your way." You know, money like that. I mean, for a high-paid coach like that, is pocket change. Yeah, it affects them more as a coach if they can't be there. With their team, and I get it. It's three cupcake games. I understand, but I mean, these coaches want to be out there coaching. I mean, that's it's their livelihood. It is their job. It is what they work all these days and nights on is to be there on the sideline. And you are taking that away from Harbaugh for three games. Then it's you know it's punishment. So I'm not cared about who it is. I, I think for. That type of indiscretion that was there, I think three games is fine. Um, I you know, and I, I don't care who it is. I mean, it's still three games. I mean, what do you? I mean, if you're the NCAA, what are you gonna do? Like, all right, we'll let you coach these first three games, but yeah. then now once we get into the heart yeah. of your season, once now, you get Penn State, we'll you know, start now. Now yeah. we're gonna punt. Now we're gonna suspend. We're gonna suspend you for those games. Tell you what, you can coach every game out there. However, we are not gonna let you coach. Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan and State, yeah. Michigan State. You're, You're going to have to sit yeah. out those three games, but you can coach the rest of them. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would probably it, it, the level of punishment would change drastically. There. Sure. 
Uh, Brooks, because, I mean, you, you were one that said it was more of a slap of the wrist. So yeah. would it be better to be longer? Would it be better to just have a more significant game? I think it would be – here's what I think it, it it could be. I think it should it, – it could be. You is suspending – I think it could be a little bit longer. And you, you take into account – and I know, you know – Who's the first conference game? Rutgers. Yeah, it's week four. Yeah. So even though even though Rutgers is not the top line of the conference, um, I would say at least extend it because of those three games. At least extend it to the first conference game. Make it like a four game suspension, so he's out one conference game too. But then I think you could also, you know, suspend him for not just the game, but don't let him be at practices. Say he's got to be hands-off. Like, he could be in the meetings. He can still run the program. But practices, he's got to be hands-off. And games, he's got to be hands-off. He can't be down there coaching them. He can look at the film. He can he can be in the meetings and say, hey, these guys, you know, you know, the, the linebackers didn't do this or the running backs didn't do this today. Work on that a little bit more. But he's got to be hands-off the program. Or not hands-off the program. Hand, physically hands-off the practices and the games for those four weeks too. Okay, I, and, and I, I can pretty, yeah. I, and I can kind of agree. I can agree with that. That if you're going to suspend him for the three games, then you're just you're suspended for those three weeks. Yeah, it's not just the game, right? Those three, three weeks, weeks. Yeah, you, that makes you, sense. Yeah. Those three weeks, you sit at home and you th- <laughs> you think about what you've done, young man. <laughs> the, <laughs> you, you were you were on de- you were um, not detention. Um, what did the parents do? Suspension? Not no, suspend- grounded. A grounded. Yeah, grounded. You put in timeout, grounded. The NCAA has grounded you. Young man, you sit in your room and you think about what you've done. So, yeah, I mean, if you're, yeah, sure, if you're going to suspend him for three games, then, yeah, make it a three-week grounding. You're grounded for three weeks. You don't get to have any sort of contact with, you know, you can look at film or do whatever, but you're not going to be there. You're Sure. I mean, that's that's quite the point. You can't recruit anybody. you got three weeks. You can't talk to a recruit. You can't do anything with a recruit. You can't do anything with your team. Other than look at film, that'd be a heck of a punishment. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of actually like that. The the last thing I want to say with all this, and uh, then we will be out of time for the hour. It will not be another break. Just be a long break for the hour. Is that all this was just nonsense from Jim Harbaugh, point blank, because this is a penalty for lying. Again, I mentioned there were level two violations for the actual – wrongdoing of recruit recruiting in a time you couldn't recruit during COVID. That was it. Right. And and level two violations don't mandate stiff penalties. Like those are by definition not strong penalties, not strong violations. Why were you lying about something that wasn't a big deal to begin with? You the only reason we are talking about it is because you lied. Yeah. If you just told the truth, you have your level two violations. They're not a big deal. There's no suspensions, no bowl problems. Might be a scholarship or two or a, a few visits. It'd be nothing. It would be right. absolute nothing. We w- I wouldn't have even covered it on the show. No one would have covered it on their national show. But now we're all covering it because you're missing a quarter of the season. You're one of the biggest names in the sport. Your team's number two in the preseason, and it's now a distraction. What it didn't need to be a distraction. And so Harbaugh was idiotic for this because all he had to do was tell the truth. And also, my if you want to be a little bit pessimistic or, or, or what a little cynical for the moment, you start to wonder, well, is he trying to cover something up out by, by lying? Because why would you lie about something so trivial? I mean, it's just like you didn't need any of this right. at the end of the day. And 
Uh, again, I, I'm on Harbaugh for he should have known better than this. He's been in this sport for a long time. He should have known that these were not big allegations, not big violations. Let it go. Tell the truth. Truth wins in the end. You figure it out eventually. Anyway, so three-game suspension for Jim Harbaugh, the level one violation of lying to the NCAA. We are out of time for hour number two. When we come back in hour number three, we will preview the Pac-12 conference and have a Sports Call 5 at 5 presented by Southeastern Land Group. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app, or... If you listen after the fact on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola, my name is Ryan LaVoy, the host of the show. Today, Tom Peavy and Brooks Childress continue to be with me on this Tuesday edition of the show. Yesterday, we previewed the Big 12 Conference. Today, it is time for the Pac-12 Conference. But uh, before we do that, or as we start to do that, it's also time for the Sports Call 5 at 5. And the Sports Call 5 at 5 is presented by Southeastern Land Group. John Harden and Brian Watts are your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is always a sound financial investment, but it's also an investment in time with your family and friends. And Brian and John can help you find the perfect property for you. If you're looking to sell your land and get maximum exposure to potential buyers, your friends at Southeastern Land Group can also help with that. Call John Harden at 334-524-2756 or call Brian Watts at 334 707 4273 or find them at selandgroup.com. Today for the Sports Call 5 at 5, as we did yesterday, starting to preview the Big 12, we'll have five storylines to watch out for in the Pac-12. We start off with number one. And that is title or bust for USC. Yes, it's just year two for Lincoln Riley. It's not title or bust for him, but this year. With Caleb Williams, a returning Heisman Trophy winner. You don't get to return those very often. Can USC get back to a title contention? Not only title contention, but to the playoff for the first time. Can they get a national title in the playoff era? Obviously, defense is required on a Lincoln-Riley team. That has yet to be really shown. But USC in an intriguing situation back as a prominent member of the national stage, title or bust for USC this year. Number two. And sticking with USC, can Caleb Williams repeat? Hasn't been done. Very long time. Caleb Williams is incredibly talented to do it, though. And I was looking up some numbers earlier this uh, afternoon about 
the opportunity Caleb Williams has against the opponents that he plays. And look, he put up big numbers last year. He's going to do it again this year. The Pac-12 is not full of defensive stalwarts. In fact, of the top 25 Power 5 teams, this is not just top 25 teams in the country, your Marshalls or Air Force or whoever's playing good defense in smaller levels of the FBS, the top 25 Power 5 teams last year in total defense and in points per game allowed, only two of them came from the Pac-12. Again, only talking about the Power Five, but only two came from the Pac-12. Oregon State and Utah, of which I believe USC does not even play Oregon State. So USC only plays one of the top 25 defenses statistically from last year in the Power Five. It's a big opportunity for Caleb Williams to rack up numbers again. We'll see if he can repeat as Heisman Trophy winner. Number three. Number three, sorting out the next three. And maybe you put USC all in the same tier, but Washington, Oregon, and Utah. Utah had great success against some of these teams last year. They actually went and won the conference title. But you also got Oregon and Washington, who feature great quarterbacks. Bo Nix, Michael Penix, putting up big numbers last year. Bo Nix accounted for over 40 touchdowns for Oregon. And Michael Penix led a resurgence at Washington post the Chris Peterson days. And Washington became nationally relevant last year. So, Washington, Oregon, Utah. Someone out of that group's going to the Pac-12 championship game. Maybe two. Maybe if they can just throw in USC. It's an interesting group of teams to sort through two through four there. Number four. Remember Chip Kelly? Remember when he was doing relevant things at Oregon? It's been quite some time since he's had success in the Pac-12, in college football, really in football in general. After leaving Oregon to go to the Philadelphia Eagles, he's not been the same. Of course, we know Phil tenures at the Eagles and one year with 49ers, but in his time at UCLA, he is 27-29 and 29 in five seasons. Below 500 for Chip Kelly. Five years in the Pac-12. Reminder, in four years at Oregon, he went 46-7. and seven. His worst year was his first year, which was still ranked number 11 and lost in the Rose Bowl. After that, 12-1, 12-2. And 12 and 1. Can Chip Kelly return to relevance in college football, or is this about the end of the road for Chip Kelly at UCLA and in major college football? It's a big year for UCLA and for Chip Kelly, of course, last year in the Pac 12 for them. So is Chip Kelly going to return to relevance? And last but not least, number five, primetime, Colorado. Last year in the Pac 12, as it is for really about everybody. But uh, Colorado, first year, one of going to be one of the more fascinating case studies amongst coaches and in college football. What can Deion Sanders bring to Colorado? We have never seen this much roster movement in one year. And it's going to be, I mean, it's borderline unheard of. And, of course, doing it from a standpoint of they needed it. They were really bad last year and have been bad for a few years. So what can Deion Sanders bring to the Colorado Buffaloes? Are we do we expect too much in year one? And are they still pretty bad? Or are they immediately pretty good? Well, again, it'll be in a new conference next year, but for now in the Pac-12, we'll see how they shake up this year. So that is the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. Five storylines in the Pac-12. USC title or bust. Kayla Williams, can he repeat as Heisman winner? Sorting out the group of Washington, Oregon, Utah. Is Chip Kelly ever going to be relevant again? And primetime, 
Deion Sanders taking over at Colorado. All right, guys, open up the floor now. Pac-12, the top of the league. Pretty good. Four highly touted teams there between Utah, Oregon, Washington, and USC. I guess that's where we start. How do you sift through those four teams at the top of the league? Uh, well, I mean, first of all, I mean, you have to think the USC is going to be the the favorite. Uh, I mean, with a guy like Caleb Williams coming in, thing that here's the thing. I mean, you have very very good potential of having two long streaks broken. We've all talked about it in the SEC with Georgia. Could they potentially become the first team to three-peat a national title since Minnesota did it way back whenever they did it? That's a very, very, very real possibility that, that happens. You could also potentially see the only other repeat Heisman Trophy winner since Archie Griffin back whenever he did it. Caleb Williams could legitimately win the Heisman Trophy again. I mean, he is the front runner. Uh you know, unless just something crazy happens to him, he's going to be right there at the top again. So Southern Cal, yeah, they went 11-3 and last year. Uh, Utah had their number. Can they get over the Utah snide? That, that's the only question. Is can they finally figure out how to beat Utah? They've got uh, eight returning on the offense, nine returning on defense. So the vast majority of their team is back. Uh, their main skill position guys are back. Everything is set up for Lincoln Riley and the Trojans to actually do it this year. But, again, can you get past Utah? That, that has been the thorn in their side. They lost twice to Utah last year, yep. once, once in the regular, regular season yep. and once in the championship game. So, can they get over that? Um, Southern Cal is, is my favorite uh, out of the Pac-12. I, I think they win it. Uh, I think they do get to the playoffs. Now, how they match up against a Georgia or – how they match up against maybe an Alabama, how they match up against maybe an Ohio State or a Michigan. Those are the guys that – those are your ones that you think are going to be there. I think Southern Cal is going to be there with them. Now, that is if they can get past the whole Utah thing. And Utah is going to be good again. A Utah team that went 10-4 and last year. Again, seven returning on offense, nine returning on defense. Utah is going to be good. They're, they're going to be very, very good. They're going to be very difficult to beat. Uh, and so that's going to make it interesting to see if Southern Cal can get past that. And then you throw in Oregon. Of course, the, a guy that, uh, you know, familiar name, Bo Nix. They're putting his posters all over Manhattan and everything. I mean, they're building Bo Nix up. Is this the year that Bo Nix breaks it out like they used to do at Auburn? I don't know. Um, yeah, Oregon is again gonna be good. Uh, a team that went ten and three last year, eight back on offense, eight back on defense. So none of these teams are having to like rebuild either side of them. They've got the vast majority of their team back, and it could be a shootout. I like I said, I really like Southern Cal in this. I think they've just got so many players, and and you know when you've got Caleb Williams, that just it's it's so. Vitally important uh, as long as he stays healthy. Uh, you also kind of throw Washington in there a little bit, uh, a team that went 11 and 2 last year. They also returned seven on offense, eight on defense. They're also going to be right there. I mean, it, it's, you know, you really. It, There's a lot of things for USC to trip on if they're there not are. careful. There's there, plenty of things yeah, in that way. I just, I think that Southern Cal has the majority of what it takes to get to where they need to be, even though it, it is the Pac-12. And, I mean, th- crazy things always happen in the Pac-12. It, it, year after year after year, something crazy happens. 
So it's definitely not it's definitely not a Southern Cal and everybody else. I mean, really, it's like Southern Cal, maybe a right. tiny little gap, and then Utah, Oregon, Washington, kind of even sort of throw Oregon State in there a little bit. They're all kind of right there, and well, then the, and then UCLA is not that far behind them either. Awful, so yeah. you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. Th- this is why people said this is the great irony of the Pac-12. This was set up. This is this is set up to be the best year of Pac-12 football in quite some time. Right. It's also the last year of relevant Pac-12 right. football. Um, the thing I want to know about USC is they're going to earn it. I don't sure. know if you paid attention to their schedule. They've got everybody. Last year, they didn't. They did not play Oregon last year, and they did not play Washington. Okay, They avoided those two. And, and of course, they did not avoid Utah, and it did not go well. But they avoided those two. This year, listen to the last half of this schedule. I was going to say, it's all the last okay? half. It is all in the last six, starting October 14th at Notre Dame. That rivalry, that's going to be a tough game. Sure. Okay, host Utah. There you go. There's a big bugaboo. Okay, we finally get a break at Cal. Congrats on that. There's your there's your, there's your, your bye game. Then host Washington at Oregon, and then you got your UCLA game. You play everybody that matters except for Oregon State uh, this year. But, again, I, I would re- – you've, you've, you've got the big Notre Dame game – all of it, last six games. Yeah. You've got the schedule this year. And so they're starting six and oh, but how's that last six go? That that's that's the question. They're going to be battle tested. Yeah. They come out of that with one loss. You if you have a one loss Pac twelve team, you will probably have a one last uh, a one loss Pac twelve playoff team this year. That's not always the case. Right. Uh they, and they have certainly cannibalized themselves worse than that in the past. But a one loss USC team will get in the playoff. They're highly ranked. They're I think they're ranked sixth in the preseason top twenty five. Going through all that chaos, assuming some of those teams leave uh, live up to it. Look, I mean, again, all those teams except for UCLA are Ranked, and they're all ranked in the top 15 uh, in that group with, when it comes to Notre Dame, Oregon, Washington, Utah. So that's a that's a plethora of, of opportunities there, a couple on the road. It's all in front of you there. Well, And, and here's another one, and it, it's because this is an unknown, but Southern Cal also plays at Colorado. Does anybody think that, you know, Colorado is – does Deion Sanders have that type of magic? I don't think he does, but does Deion Sanders have enough magic to make – Colorado relevant because let's remember now he got rid of almost all those guys that were there that where Colorado was just at pure absolute garbage program he has brought in some players so he has done he has filled out that roster with the guys that can play ball can they rally around Deion Sanders obviously the the excitement around Colorado football is, is you know at an all-time high you look at Southern Cal, you know, on September 30th going into Colorado. I, I'm still saying Southern Cal wins that one, but could that one even potentially be a little bit tougher if Deion Sanders is able yeah, to? Yeah, if Deion is able to put that together, build that excitement, and have all these new players that are all these new players are better than what Colorado had to begin with. Every one of them right. are better than what they had. So, are they able to meld that together and actually become dangerous? I think it could. I don't think it will be, but I think there's still that little unknown question there about Colorado in year one under Dion, and especially if you have to go there and play them. 
Mm. I just think that's it, so much the ask in the first half of the first year. And I get that they did change everybody. And I'm not and saying I, it's going to sure. be a win. I'm just saying, could that become dangerous? Could that right. become a, mm, hey, yeah. let's see what happens I, here. I still think that, that from the USC point of view, if you're playing a close game with Colorado there, you're in huge trouble for the second half. That, or, or it'd be a lack of focus type of deal. I mean, right. those happen. College kids, it happens. But, I again, Colorado, if they – I still think that if Colorado just goes five and seven or six and six this year, you should consider that a win. I mean, I, I I'm not changing my expectations off a one win team from last year to no, the well. point. I, and I get that they up sure, but but also it's like they probably did upgrade everywhere, but that doesn't mean that every position is going to be good. It just means some might be okay. I mean, some of these guys are also Jackson State guys. Are you sure they're going to be? awesome at the FBS level. I mean, like some of them will because some of them were still highly right. recruits, but he did take some other people with them too. I don't know. I'm just saying it's, it's a great it's, unknown. It's, it's a great unsure, but I would just, I would definitely bet on let's cool the brakes a little bit on, on what ends up happening. I know. Within this year. And, and that's why I'm saying I, I'm not ready to jump on that. I'm just looking at that schedule and saying, what if, yeah, you know, because you look at the red, you know, San Jose State, not worried about that. Nevada, nope. not worried about that. Stanford, not nope. worried about that. At Arizona State, they're probably going to name. Uh, they did name. In fact, they did today. They, Jaden Rashada. Jaden Rashada. Former Florida commit. Yep. Uh, you know, I don't think Arizona State still has enough around no, him. I mean, now he, he's going to be a he's going to be an electrifying quarterback, or he should. I just don't know that he has much talent around him to make a difference. Um. Uh, you know, uh, we'll see. I don't think it's going to happen, but I, I'm. I, I mean, just with the 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 players, It'll be entertaining to see. It will be entertaining to see. Um, uh, you know, we'll we'll definitely see. I mean, right out of the gate, what Colorado has. I mean, they play at TCU. We think TCU is going to drop off, but I mean, yeah. goodness sakes. Well, welcome to big time college football. You're gonna, uh, Dion. You're gonna play at a team that was just in the championship yeah. game. So, uh, and then they play Nebraska, Colorado State at Oregon before they play Southern Cal. So, yeah, uh, I mean, you already be starting to get the feel for what they're looking like. Sure. By then, yeah, yeah, you will definitely get a, a feel for it. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm not sitting there and saying that Southern Cal is going to lose Colorado. I'm not predicting that at all. I'm just wondering if that could potentially be one that might be a little sneakier than you think, even sure. before you get to that last half. Now, the last half of their season is is brutal, and like you said, if they get through that with just one loss, then they have absolutely earned every single bit of it. But if you're Southern Cal, and I mentioned this again, you just want to get past, get past October 21st. Yeah, yeah. that's the Utah game. It's yeah. like, listen, guys, we got to quit losing to the Utes. Uh, I mean, come <laughs> on. We, we, I mean. The Utes are the thing that's like just tripping us up all the time. Let's let's get past that. Uh, I still think Southern Cal. I think they're just. Uh, I think they're a little more loaded than the rest of them, even though the rest are not that far behind by any stretch of the imagination. Sure, Brooks, jump in here, sir. What do you got? Um, that's the Pac-12, man. It, it's crazy. And here's here's what I got. I really like the quarterback class in this year in the Pac-12. Yeah. I really like their quarterbacks. I'm not gonna say from top to bottom because you know Stanford still exists and so does Cal. Uh, and who knows who their quarterback uh, is by name? Um, if you do, I'll give you whatever money is in my wallet. Um, <laughs> 
first, uh, but you know, you look at the at the at really the top four quarterbacks in the league with Caleb Williams, Michael Penix, Bo Nix, and Cameron Rising. If Cameron Rising is you know gets back to full health this year, that's an elite four. That's an elite top uh, top of your league. Um, you know, overall, before I, I jump in any of these teams in particular, USC definitely the the team that should be favored to win this whole conference. Um, does their defense look better? That's a that's a big question. Is because you saw last year they could score as many points as they wanted to, but then if either they went up against a pretty good defense or if the other team had an offense that could also score as many as they want to, it it got a little hairy there for a little bit. Um, Utah's a team that continues to have a, a lot of good uh, good positions top to bottom. Oregon, uh, Oregon. I'm not as um, I'm I. You know, a lot of people picking them top half of the league. I I think they're a top half of the league team, um, but it, it's it's again the defense. How how do they look? And Dan Lanning's second year in, at the reins, and if what if any effect is it that. Uh, Bo Nix has uh, is here without Kenny Dillingham as an offense coordinator, uh, mainly because Dan Lanning is not the offensive coach. It's like you know at at, at Auburn. Let, let's take it. Let's take it Auburn. You had you know Gus Malzahn was an offensive coach. He changed offensive coordinators quite a bit. It didn't affect the offense as much because Gus Malzahn was the offensive coach. I, I just it, it's this is where I want to see what Bo Nix looks like with uh, changing offensive coordinators here. Um, at, at Oregon under a defensive coach. I think Washington's a team that could sneak up and and could challenge USC if Michael Penix is as good as everybody says he is. Uh, and he, he looked the part last year at the end of the year. Can he take that next step forward and be an elite quarterback this year? Um, I think they could challenge USC this year. Uh, Oregon State could shock some people. I'm still, and I, I think we said this when we did uh, our over-unders about a month ago, month or so ago. Arizona's a team. I don't think they get, you know, they're they're not going to challenge for a Pac-12 championship or anything or an appearance or anything. But I'm not going to be shocked if they they shock a couple people and and move up. You know, they're they're picked in the bottom half. I would not be shocked if they move up and and finish somewhere around that sixth, seventh, fifth, somewhere around there in the conference. Um, yeah, USC is the team that should that that should feel really good about this year. Uh, but like you guys said, that back half of that schedule is just is is tough, uh, and especially if if your defense doesn't show up uh, like you'd like them to. Um, but yeah, it, this is a this is a, a heck of a conference this year, and it's just it's a shame that it's the last year of the Pac-12 as we know it because uh, this is some some could be some really good football this year out west. So stay up late. One one thing I was going to mention you you're talking about the quarterbacks and. Uh, one you didn't mention now, can he figure it out? But at Oregon State, you know, DJ, DJ, uh, Ugalele. Oh, yeah. Uh, Uyangale. Uyangale. I can't even remember how to pronounce <laughs> it. Uyangale is now at Oregon State, and he's the guy that was at Clemson. Granted, he was not very good at Clemson. Can he figure it out? But I mean, you've got him. Uh, you, you go, you get through also, and you look at, uh, uh, Arizona State. <laughs> Arizona State, as we mentioned, uh, uh, Rashada. Um, uh, Dylan Rashada, Jaden Rashada, Jaden Rashada. Yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm choking over myself. Jaden Rashada, uh, and right behind him, you've got um the the Pine kid that came from Notre Dame that transferred. Uh, and I mean he he was a ten game starter at Notre Dame. Again, not, couldn't necessarily get the job done, but 
even at Arizona State, you've got top quality quarterbacks even beside a, behind a true freshman. If I could learn how to talk, uh, the, and now and then also Shador Sanders, is he going to be able to relate what he did at Jackson State to big boy football? But let's also remember he was a very highly rated guy when he went to Jackson State. So you still got Shador Sanders. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of the, the quarterback group from the Pac-12 is ridiculous. I mean, there's so many. There's already proven great quarterbacks and then others that could potentially be really good guys that were very highly rated when they went into the college game that, that are now sitting there in the Pac-12 um, through transfer portal. So, it, man, it, it will be interesting to see. Like I said, I, I'm still sticking with Southern Cal, but, I mean, it's the, the gap between them, Utah, Oregon, Washington. And like I said, you're, you know, don't sleep on UCLA and – yeah, if if uh, Uyangale can figure it out at Oregon State, maybe they actually become a team that can trip some folks up. So I mean, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, they had a really good year last year. I mean, they won ten games. Yeah. The interesting thing too is just the meteoric rises of some of these teams. Because again, I, I know it's not shocking that USC did it, but USC won four games the year before. Right. Lincoln Riley got there. One eleven last year. Washington, Kalen DeBoer's first year. They won four games two years ago, and he came in his last year, uh, his first year last year, won eleven games. So I don't know what was with the four to eleven mantra from uh, Washington USC. But the great thing is, those teams all play each other. It's it's great. I don't know how it shook out that way because there's obviously more than nine opponents to play uh, or nine available teams to play. But Oregon, they've got Washington. USC, Utah. We just told you about USC's tough, tough road the last six games. Washington, obviously, Oregon, USC, Utah. That means Utah's got them all too. So they all play each other, uh, and no one has like an obvious advantage of like everyone's home because, like, again, Oregon go hosts USC, but they go to Utah and to Washington. So all right, that's two out of the three tough ones on the road. Washington hosts Oregon and hosts Utah, but they go to Southern Cal. Utah um, has uh, USC and Washington on the road, but they host Oregon, and USC's got two of the three at home. they got Utah, Washington at home, at Oregon. So everyone has at least one of them on the road uh, in that grouping. Um, Utah does have UCLA and Oregon State, so Utah has everybody you could possibly have. Right. Uh, Oregon obviously has Oregon State because of that rivalry. We'll see if that goes away after this year. Um, you know, Washington State's kind of interesting. They were a bowl team last year. There's just not a lot of crap in this conference this year, which is just kind of rare. Um, that's why it's kind of tough to know, like, what's a realistic win total for Colorado? Because kind of everyone's pretty decent. Uh, and then, you know, Arizona State, they've got Rashada, sure, but Kenny Dillingham, first-year head coach. Dilly Dilly. They went 3-9 and nine last year. Like That would right. still figure to be one of the bottom three or four teams in the mm-hmm. league. Uh, there, there's some there's some tough stuff to figure yeah. out. For the record, for Colorado's schedule, just if those that are interested. So uh, they have the Oregon-USC at Arizona State, host Stanford at UCLA, host Oregon State, host Arizona at Washington State, at Utah. So they've got Everyone but Washington of that top group, uh, and then they still have Oregon State and UCLA. So they've got five of the top six right. perceived teams in the conference. Um, it's it's a pretty good league. Uh, it, it really is going to be pretty good this year. And there's going to be a lot of offense football because, as I told you guys in the five at five, 
last year of the power again, I was not just ranking the teams in all of college football, some teams that play in weaker conferences. The top 25 Power 5 conference teams, which 25 Power 5 teams is almost half the Power 5. There were only two Pac-12 defenses in terms of top 25 in total defense and top 25 in, uh, in points allowed. There's going to be so many points in this league because of the quarterback play, because of the lack of defense. It might – like, would you be – would you say this? Like, would you give Utah a leg up because they might be the only team that can play defense? They obviously have don't have as much of an offense, but when I read you those numbers, do you feel a little bit better about Utah knowing they are one of the teams with defense? I mean, it, it does. It, I mean, it really does. Because, like, USC does not have defense. And right. that that – I mean – I don't even think it's, oh, well, let's see if year two Lincoln Riley. No, like or Oklahoma literally never had defense. And Washington was not great defensively last year. Oregon has a guy with a defensive background, but they were not very good defensively last year with Dan Lanning. Again, that's year one. So, like, maybe maybe unlike Lincoln Riley, maybe you say, okay, Dan Lanning, we can figure it out defensively. He'll get there. But, I mean, last year they were still 27.5 points a game. I mean, that's that's not particularly good. Yeah, I'm um, talking about Southern Cal. I was talking about Oregon. Oh, or, oh yeah, or I, was, Oregon. I, I know Southern Cal will not be great defensively because Lincoln Riley's there. But I'm saying that <laughs> Dan Lanning is a, was the Georgia defensive coordinator, so you would expect at some point for them to get better defensively. The starting point last year for them as defense, they allowed 27 and a half points a game. Obviously, they gave up a million to Georgia, the aforementioned Georgia, uh, in Week One, so they did much better after that. Uh, but, like, Oregon would be like, okay, it's possible they improve and they get into the low 20s defensively. I it, I could fathom that. Now, of course, they're playing great offenses, but they could they could get better defensively. I don't have much hope for USC being great defensively. I feel like they are just going to be outscoring people, and they will probably do that because Caleb Williams is really good and they've got weapons and all that. But if you're just relying on, like, USC to win an important game 17-13, I just don't think that that's possible Whereas with Utah, that is possible. With Oregon, less likely, but still fathomable. Washington, hard to read. I, I don't know uh, DeBoer's background. I know that last year they were at 26 points a game allowed, so it's an ick better than Oregon. That's also because they didn't have the right to give up 49 to Georgia in the non-conference. So pretty much the conference slate evens it out. I don't know what to expect from from Washington defensively. Uh, all right, so guys, uh, the – well, I, I was no, go ahead. Say, I'm sorry, just, but yeah, talking about defense, yeah, and I mean, this is the thing that scares you about. Uh, I'm just sitting here looking at uh, Southern Cal's schedule last year. So they gave up 43 to Utah in the first game. They got 37 to Arizona. They got 35 to Cal. They gave up 45 to UCLA, Yee. and then they gave up another 47 to Utah in the championship game. So just that stretch, yeah. Southern Cal gave up a ton. Yep. Of points. Yeah, not good. So, yeah. Got to be better. Yeah. All right. So, and they gave up a lot to Tulane, even, in the uh, yeah. New Year's Six Bowl, too. Well, it, and it, no point got better. No, all yeah, right. 40, uh, 46. Yep. So, all right, the two things we're going to do with every conference, hot seats and then nail you down to a conference title game prediction, all right? So, couple hot seats. The seat, I would imagine how hot – well, I'm not going to give my word first. You guys get your word in first. Chip Kelly's seat, how warm? Uh, mild. Uh, yeah. I think that I think his success last year may have bought him an extra year, and so I think this the you know this year if it goes if it goes south, and it if if they finish around where they're predicted, which is the middle of the conference, I think next year 
is his it starts to he starts the year with uh not quite his pants on fire uh sitting down in his chair but it, it's close he, he can he can feel the the warmth beneath the seat like the car the car heaters turn the war- the seat warmers on I, if if he was at any other school that like just full bore cared about their college football team his seat would be a lot hotter um the fact that it is UCLA, I think he's able to get away with a little bit more out there just because it's, you know, I, it's UCLA. I mean, it's it's not like an SEC school where – Yeah, but there's like, – I mean, there's still levels of care no, 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 that, no. I, above other Pac-12 Absolute. schools. Absolutely, but I think there's still – I think there's a, a little bit more len- – you get a little bit more lenience out there. I mean, I mean, his records at UCLA have, have not really been good at all. But, I mean, they've been middle of the pack. I mean, he, but so yeah. I mean, you expect more at UCLA, but I think, I think it would be hotter if he was. I think it would be a lot hotter if he was at a, a, a Big Ten school, or definitely if he was at an SEC school with the records and the track records of his years. I think it would definitely be a lot hotter. So if he goes seven and five this year, you think he's retained? I think so. I mean, I, I think yeah. yeah. At least for and another. That, at I least mean, if for you think the hot year. seat's mild, then seven and five shouldn't be firing somebody. Yeah, right. it it, just, it I think it more depends on what everybody else in the conference does. If he goes seven and five and finishes behind, let's say Cal Cal win, you know, gets a, a rocket up their butt and wins a few games, or Arizona, like like I said, is better and, and wins more games than, uh, or yeah, wins at least one more game than UCLA. I think seven and five could get you. Get it, it getting fired, but seven and five middle of the conference. I don't think I think next year is his prove it year to us because yeah. I think last year his success last year kind of bought him one extra year there. But see, here's the thing: it's just like okay, nine and four, fine. But like Jim Mora Jr. is looking back at Jim Mora Jr. because he was the coach before Chip Kelly. He went forty six and thirty in six years. Now the last two years were his worst two. That's why he got fired. He was four and eight, then five and six. But Jim Moore Jr. Jr. had nine, ten, ten, and eight win seasons, and then devolved into two bad seasons. Like at some point, you have to win something. Like sure. UCLA is still a solid program. Just because it's in the Pac-12 doesn't mean they don't care at all. That would be like Stanford. Stanford does not care. Well, you know, like like UCLA cares to some degree. I I think his thought seats way hotter than than or at least it should be. I think it's scorching hot. He is under 500 in five years right. at UCLA. Under 500. And he's a huge name. I get it. You're trying every which way to make it work. His saving grace is if Dante Moore looks kind of fun this year because he's the five-star quarterback that they got. But if if I'm UCLA and they go 6-6 six and six or 7-5 and five this year, I'm firing him, period. Because if you put it to you this way, if I'm going 500 in the, in the Pac-12 every year, with Chip Kelly. What am I going to do in the Big Ten? You think it's going to go better? Because it's not. So I I just don't – I I would be shocked if he was retained, if he, if they went 6-6, six 7-5 and six, seven and five this year. Um, maybe, like, maybe you sat – if you – the 7-5, you somehow shock USC or something like that. But, like, I, I don't know. I it, I'm not disagreeing that in reality – his seat's probably much more tamer along with what you guys think. But I'm just saying from my point of view, it should be hot because you've had five seasons sure. and you finally had got us on the right path last year. You better not take a step back. You better win eight or nine again. Right. You, you better if, not yeah. fall backwards. If you're the AD, 
then he yeah. If his, I'm the AD, I'm saying you better not fall right. backwards. Right. Sure. And seven and five be backwards after a nine win team. And, and I and again, I think for him, if he were in if that type of record over five years was in the SEC, scorching yeah. hot. I think in the Big Twelve or I'm sorry, in the Big Ten, it would be scorching hot. Or at some of the yeah. higher level schools of the Big Ten, it would be scorching hot. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, yeah, they care about they care at UCLA, but I, I, it's I don't it's to me I, it's not a level of care like Southeastern Conference. Well, sure, because no one is because we're all psychos. It's, down it here. is psycho here, <laughs> but but I'm saying like just don't also don't confuse fans being laissez faire with administration yeah. because that administration cares enough to go to the Big Ten. Like, yeah. like that's the first evidence to you that they do care is that they want they went with USC to get out of that conference. And I'll tell you what, it ain't about Big Ten basketball. No, I mean UCLA cares about basketball. Obviously, it's a huge basketball program, but football makes the money still. So, I'm just saying, ju- don't confuse people not showing up at the Rose Bowl with the administration not wanting to be really good. Uh, there's really no one else hot seat wise. If you care about Justin Wilcox entering his seventh season at Cal, <laughs> who is thirty and thirty six at Cal, sure. I, I mean, eh. Mildly hot, you know, te- tepid. I I don't know. I mean, like lukewarm, but also we. That's again, don't really care that much. So that's it for the hot seat. Nail you guys down to prediction. Give me the the two in the conference title game. Oh my! I I really want to be bold here. Um, I really want to be bold. You see, I don't know who because I I want to put. I, I'll give you two. I'll give you two of them right here. I'll give you a chaos one, and I'll give you a a uh, if if all goes according to according to what I think. I think everything goes according to plan. It's USC and mm, Washington. I'm gonna I'm gonna be bold there, and I'm gonna say Washington because they're they're one of the three teams that went in that Utah, Oregon, Washington category that I can. That it, I think whoever wins, you know, whoever head to head there. My chaos. Here's my chaos one. Utah and either Oregon or Washington, and USC doesn't make it, and USC trips up with two games, two or three games to the to these to the Utah or the Oregon or the Washington. And if USC's defense doesn't show up, that's my that's my ultimate chaos. That one I'm not nailing down. Do do not nail me down to that one. Uh, but my my actual one, USC Washington. Hmm. USC Washington. <laughs> I'm trying to think about because are you I going USC? See, I, I'm definitely going. I think okay. USC wins it. I think I just think they do. Um, I I think I really kind of the the Southern Cal Washington sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, man, it's hard. It's hard not to put Utah somewhere in there though. Yeah. It, it oh man, it's really hard not to think about Utah with. I mean, just with the way that they did against Southern Cal, even just last year. I mean, they put forty on them both times last year. But I, I man, I, I'm still, I'm still gonna go. I'm gonna go Southern Cal. I, I, I think the Southern Cal Washington thing adds up. Uh, yeah, no, I. I think it'd be objectively hilarious if USC didn't make it. Uh, I will not be that bold. And Lincoln Riley's failures are usually in the playoff. They they don't. I know they lost to Utah in the title game. That was year one. They came from a four win program the year before. So I'm, I don't think there's going to start to be a trend of them not winning in their conference the way they need to. But uh, so I'll take USC. Uh, and I've gone back and forth. Uh, 
Uh, Washington's intriguing because of where they get some of these teams. Utah's intriguing because they're the only really good defensive team. And and Oregon's intriguing because I still like the potential of landing. And then Bo Nix was objectively the best of those three quarterbacks last year. He was better than Cam Rising. He was better than Michael Penix, in my opinion, because of the rushing part of the equation that, that Nix provided with 14 rushing touchdowns. I lean towards all-reliable Utah because of the way that they just play defense, and they might offer something that these offensive teams haven't seen this year. I mean, I know they lost some games last year, but, and look, to be fair, they did lose to Oregon, but it was by three at Oregon in a 20-17 to game. Like, they did a really good job defensively against Oregon. They put it in there. Now, obviously, if Cam Rising ends up not being healthy, yikes. If he's not healthy, I guess give me Oregon uh, against USC. But uh, I like that Utah can play defense unlike really any other team in the league, maybe Oregon State. we got to take one final timeout of the show. That was a preview of the Pac-12 Conference. Tomorrow will be the Atlantic Coast Conference. You're listening to the Tuesday District Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Stay tuned. You're listening to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. Let's get back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Feel free to give us a call at 334-887-3401 or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Brooks Childress with you here. Final minute or two of this Tuesday edition of the show. And as always, we want to finish off each and every show with the Sports Call Nightly TV Guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. All right, Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide, presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Of course, there's great movies to check out, but uh, we want to start in the sports world, Little League World Series, 6 o'clock on ESPN. Again, Game 2, Braves and Metropolitans. That is on Bally Sports South at 6.20. Got a little MLB action on TBS. Boston Red Sox, Houston Astros, 7 o'clock on TBS. And got a couple of movie picks, Indiana Jones the third Indiana Jones, 7 p.m. on Paramount. And Spider-Man, he is far from home, 8 o'clock on, I forget this every single time, Stars Encore? Yep. That's what it is. There we go. Uh, and that is Sports Call's nightly TV guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. 
That will do it for the show this afternoon. Brooks, thank you very much for being here today. Yes, Excited sir. to hear you in the high school coaches show tomorrow. We'll talk again later this week. Absolutely. Tom Peavy, thank you for being here this afternoon. We'll see you again tomorrow, sir. I'll be here. Looking forward to it. Uh, that will do it for the show today. As always, we appreciate all those that tuned in and called in. For Brooks Childress and Tom Peavy, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Tuesday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.